Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a Rad Religion Broadcasting premiere podcast. No time for Hollywood. No, damn you, Hollywood. <laughs> and here's a man who, when it comes to film, he says, Now this looks like a job for me. So, everybody, just follow me because we need a little Robert Winfrey. Wow. <laughs> I, I was practicing that earlier. I. <laughs> wow. Off your game. <laughs> That's a callback. I, we had it in the car going. And, uh, and let me tell you, I, I took my kids to uh, their parkour class. And my, my son said something to me. And I, and I just burst it into, now, now uh, this looks like a job for me. So everybody just follow me. And then I kept saying your name for no good reason. <laughs> And I'm like, I got to do that on the show tonight. Well, congratulations. You did, in fact, do that on the show. All right. It's just, since it's just Mark and me, let me just very briefly, before we get into the movie tonight, I feel compelled partially to apologize to you, the listening audience, for last week. Not because I insulted the movie. I don't <laughs> care. Let there be carnage is crap. And I stand by every single negative thing I said about that vapid, shallow, but... pointless movie. But in my passionate tirade, <laughs> I turned my ire unfairly on to all of you who enjoyed that. I believe I questioned your parentage, how much your parents love you, the proximity in which with which you were raised to on a podcast with a parent who brought their children to the movie, by the way. I know. <laughs> I questioned. Uh, your the proximity to which you were raised uh, for to phenomena that are known or heavily suspected to cause developmental issues. Who called you out? I, I got to know what what no drove you to this epiphany. No one in particular. You just, just, had, just I got thinking. You, I thought were you, about were, it. Were you visited by the ghost of Christmas movies? Yeah, sure. The the you know, <laughs> look, one of them was Harvey Weinstein, and I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> you just cr just coming through the stairs with vid with VHS tapes chained to his body. Robert Winfrey. <laughs> he, he he warned me about what would happen in my future if <laughs> if I did not mend my ways. Yeah. So th the point being, you you people don't come here to be insulted. You come here to hear a movie review, and I insulted you for no good reason. Except one of you, and you know who you are. <laughs> the rest of you, you don't deserve to be insulted for your taste in entertainment, especially something, as I've mentioned, somewhat anodyne, vapid, and shallow as Venom, Let There Be Carnage. And you didn't deserve it. I apologize for whatever my apologies worth. I am sorry, and I will do everything in my power to make sure it doesn't happen in the future. Mea culpa. No time to die. Um, we talked, yeah. So, so, a little ways back, Sean Garmer was like, Hey, you should release all your stuff before the movie because after the movie, nobody cares anymore. 
And the unintended consequence of doing that was it forces me to go back and listen to some of the stuff that we've talked about leading into uh, one of the franchise movies that we're doing. I mean, like, it doesn't matter with a movie like Malignant or Cry Macho. Yeah. But um, for like No Time to Die, we had shit tons of content that came out a before, fair before No Time to Die. And I listened to it all. And I was reminded of how I felt about Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, um, Skyfall, and Spectre. But more importantly, and more to the point that I wanted to get at for table setting tonight, um, I got to hear your thoughts on Bond. And we don't need to go over all of it again. But you and I were talking last night before our uh, marathon review of Midnight Mass. And I, this goes to the review. That's why I'm talking about it now. I, I listened to myself re review Casino Royale for Long Road to Ruin and talked about how it was nice to see Bond return to the suave spy and not the, you know, and not one of the many nameless, faceless, ever emerging action heroes. Like Bond to me was always different than all of that. And I think that might yeah. be because I grew up with the Roger Moore Bonds. And then, you know, I know the generation before that grew up with Sean Connery. Um, I think in the Piers Brosnan and Timothy Dalton era is where Bond starts to flip and becomes more action hero than he does spy. And so I think yeah. with Casino Royale, I was like, oh, good. We're getting back to that again. And then over the well, course, well, over the course of the Daniel Craig Bonds finally ending with No Time to Die, it seems like they went completely back on that altogether. And that ultimately is my my biggest issue with the movie but i wanted to just talk to you and get your opinion on the whole bond death spy bond death soldier thing it's it's always been a bit of a tough road to walk especially in modern cinema for the, the character of james bond because the entire like espionage genre these days is not actually about espionage anymore no we did a lot of comparisons to the Bourne trilogy for that reason yeah for the worse for a yeah. lot of it uh with a variety of reasons and i think this movie this movie more than i think some of the others that the direction that this that this iteration of bond took overall there's some chickens that come home to roost in this particular movie as far as that goes but mm -hmm. let's save that for the film itself bond as spy is always the more interesting version of james bond and the better versions of the Pierce Brosnan era, I think, walked the line correctly. Mm -hmm. Because while there were the action set pieces and there was gunplay and you'd get card, like you'd get the big stuff, but you always got, not always, but in the, again, in the good ones, you pretty much always got uh, him being a spy. You got mm -hmm. him having, him getting his briefing, him learning what's going on, him trying to figure out what's going on, being a little bit behind the curve. Like, the actual spy craft was part of it. Now, some of it was a bit more ridiculous than others. Sure. But it was still it was still an integral part of the story. The dumb ones, and <laughs> I, much as I love, I really do enjoy Pierce Brosnan as Bond. I think it's a crying shame. He had such terrible material for at least half of his run. Everybody loves Goldeneye. Sure. <laughs> and, oh, there's a couple of others of his that I... I file more under guilty pleasures, mm -hmm. but yeah, he just, he had such poor, poor, like they just got sillier and sillier and sillier. Mm -hmm. And then Mike Myers, 
the little weasel. <laughs> because Austin Powers kind of blew up the entire James Bond, like what what a Bond movie was, and just blew right. it up. Right. Uh, but uh, that that whole thing is another. We'll get to that particular discussion later. These movies. I think these films suffer from a couple of problems. And this is a bit this this is a slightly more overarching problem, but they wanted to have a continuous story about Daniel Craig's version of James Bond, essentially from start to finish. Right. Which is not a bad thing. But when you're swapping the writing team and the creative direction and the directors every movie, you lack the over like what's the don't get me wrong. This is not the only this is not the only problem with the franchise I'm about to mention. But the sequel trilogy in Star Wars suffers. Damn it, I did exactly where I was going. It, a big problem with it, not the only problem, but a big one is there's mm-hmm. no cohesive vision from start to finish. Say whatever you want to about the prequels, there's a cohesive story being told. Right. The problem that the Daniel Craig James Bond movies run into is they wanted something like that, but nobody was given proper overarching direction for it in a creative sentence. I don't so think we knew get... what the story was. I, I think it was I think it was the old like dramatic exercise of somebody starts a story and then you tag the next person and they start the story, but they can continue it in what their own they, way. What do they call that? Popcorn writing? Something like that. Yeah. Like I don't you know, JJ Abrams in defense of the Star Wars thing, I, I think he had a vision. But he wasn't allowed to execute said vision. He had to hand it off to Ryan Johnson. And Ryan Johnson was supposed to hand it off to, I think, Josh Trank, but we all, or somebody, I don't remember who. I know Josh Trank was somebody who was hired and fired of the dozen guys that were throughout the Star Wars movies. There were a lot of names thrown around for that third movie, potentially. And so, point being, I don't think, you know, so J.J. Abrams had an end game, but, you know, but because of the way Lucasfilm was being run at the time, wasn't real wasn't really allowed to do kind of a kevin feige for the, very strict track to keep things on for the record um, i think you're giving jj abrams way too much credit i've suffered through enough of that man's television to question his long-term planning abilities i'm not saying how specific the plan was yeah. um but i don't and i don't think that i mean when you think about what, how, when did casino royale come out it was like, like the early 2000s uh 2003 i want to say right we're talking like a 20 year journey here they didn't know how there's no way 20 years ago when mgm was and eon productions was like let's do a gritty james bond but let's start from the beginning and not do just a kind of compartmentalized episodic james bond let's let's just start again start from the beginning james bond day one with casino royale and go from there what if it bombs? What if, you know, who knows what, who knew what they were going to do? They had no idea that in 2019 when I, or 2020, when this was supposed to come out, what this end result was going to be. So that's a big issue with no time to die is that it really is. it's kind of, you know, here, here's a bunch of broken toys and tools and bits of glass and just do something with it. Cause that's all we got left. And for some reason, the creative director in this case decided to set fire to it and collect the insurance money. <laughs> um, so wrap just wrap up wrapping up our thoughts about you know the the evolution of James Bond because I'm going to keep coming back to this. This is why I'm making a big deal about it now. I feel like I could name just a half a dozen, and most of them were in the Expendables movies. Better action hero characters than James Bond. For me, James Bond. Um, 
doesn't work as just a straight up macho, muscular, sweaty commando action guy. James Bond works with martinis and suits and gadgetry and slickness and slyness and you know and all you know it almost elevates the action medium in that way when yeah. you take that all away from him and he, and and you do it 20 years later it's an old guy running around with a rifle and you've lost me quite frankly as an audience member i'll let you have the last word on this and we'll move on there was a serious uh, i had this experience in the theater okay because i'm watching this movie and it's not quite the Irishman, but boy, is it close. <laughs> uh, for the record, this movie is two hours and 47 minutes. And it it really feels that. I, I want to come back to that when we talk about the craft. But we get to the final sequence where they're invading this island. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching the two of them. You know, they do the cool sequence with the plane that turns into a submarine. That then, like, like that's a fine enough sequence. But I'm sitting here watching this going... I don't know why James Bond has to be the one that does this. Yeah. They really like there's part of the intrigue of James Bond. And I want to get into this in a bit later. Part of the intrigue of watching any character like James Bond is they do things that only they can do. Well, and, a spy is not a soldier in, in the sense that you, you send soldiers to fight battles. You know, they are warriors, a spy, even if you just sort of reduce this down to what happens in a, in a, international combat engagement spies are the ones that are sent into enemy territory to gather information you know spies are sab spies and saboteurs are the people who operate under cover of night in enemy territory to give their uh to give their country an advantage their army an advantage yeah well the thought that i had as this is going on was mm -hmm. uh, there's other stuff in this movie that James Bond does that I'm I'm okay with. Like I'll mm -hmm. go along with a bunch of stuff that he does here. Like okay, this is James Bond stuff. Might not be the, my personal favorite variation on what James Bond stuff is, but he's doing mm -hmm. James Bond things. And then as they get off, they, as they're getting out of this improvised submarine, mm -hmm. I only thought the only thing that went through my head was why isn't this John Matrix from like why isn't this Arnold Schwarzenegger as commander? Right. Like, yeah, why aren't we sending the Blackhawk down team in? Yeah, like, what is so... What about this requires James Bond? Right. And ultimately, there's not a good answer for that because there is no good answer for that. Because right. he's the hero of the story. Well, look, he, he, he does it because, he, because the movie says he has to do it. Right. Like, that's why. And unfortunately, we get to that point very poorly. And more than that, they don't give him anything that is essential to they don't give him anything james bond like to do in the entire finale and it's not that the finale sucks i don't think it does it has problems but it doesn't suck but that does i don't know it took me a little bit out of the movie by the end of it and mm -hmm. uh what are we gonna think, go ahead finish up and let's get into the plot i think the last thing i want to say and i'll say this again when we get done with talking about the movie mm -hmm. you know I do want to give tremendous credit to Daniel Craig. Mm -hmm. He has been, for his tenure, a genuinely excellent James Bond. Uh, one of the best. I don't know where exactly you want to rank him. That's largely a matter of personal preference and largely comes down to less the actor and more the style of movie that they're put in. Has anyone like largely disagreed with the idea that Sean Connery has been and always will be the best Bond? There's a lot of people that are now saying that Craig has kind of surpassed him. 
And I can see the, I'm not going to weigh in on my take on the argument because I don't think it's terribly relevant. No, I'm I not can, really arguing the point. Yeah, I, just I, can, I can see the uh, – for my money, like those two are probably – one and one A, and which order you choose to put them in is largely personal preference. I mean, obviously, number one with a bullet is George Lazenby. Why do you do this? <laughs> Just why? <laughs> Holy sir, don't you understand? <laughs> so the plot then? <laughs> sure, we can do the plot, I suppose. <laughs> this three-hour epic. Let me tell you, as you're getting yourself seated up for this, I was telling you this last night. I um, I stayed up to watch Dark Side of the Ring Thursday night. That ends at ten o'clock. That ends at eleven o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Went immediately to bed, but I had to get up at three o'clock in the morning because I was covering part of an overnight shift for my relief, who had to leave early. So I'm up at three. I'm at work at four, and then I go to um, I, I and then work ends at seven thirty p.m. I make an eight o'clock movie. It doesn't start till eight thirty because you know trailers, which means I don't get out of this movie until like eleven eleven thirty, and then I get home. Um, the point being, like by the time I got to the eight o'clock movie, I was super tired, and that definitely added to my agitation about this. There are definitely points that I dozed off, and like everyone's raving about the Anna de Armas uh, scene where they invade Blofeld's birthday party, whatever it's whatever it was. And I and I think I entirely missed it because I don't remember it in the movie at all. Go ahead. I just wanted to share that with you real quick. Mm, always nice to know that one of us is a professional here about this. I would. You know what? <laughs> I'm hey. sorry. You never sleep. You just have to recharge your battery, robot. But some of us humans have to actually take a nappy poo every once in a while. I completely sympathize with that. I love naps, but I also don't fall asleep during movies when I'm supposed to review them. You should have seen me at the Meg a few years ago. I'm pretty sure people were laughing at me by the end of it. I'm pretty sure we wasn't your. I'm pretty sure your contribution to that review was okay. So there's a big shark, <laughs> and there's Jason Statham, and there's some Chinese Chinamen getting eaten by the shark. Yeah, I think that was. <laughs> so Loki. Uh, uh, Loki sucks. I said it. You can deal with it. You can deal with it. We open with a flashback to young Madeline Swan, who witnesses her mother slain by, who we come to realize is Rami Malek, whose name is. <sighs> Sorry, I hadn't seen his first name spelled out. They actually call this jackass Lucifer Safin. Who thinks this is clever? <laughs> Who thinks you, you, you swat? Here's what you did, writer. Okay. You just took, you went to a couple of California parents and said, if you wanted to name your child Lucifer Satan, how would you spell it? And this is what you got. Okay. And you went brilliant. <laughs> Good. Anyway, we follow, he comes to kill Mr. White, who is Madeline's father. Uh, he's not there, so he guns down her mother. Chases her out onto a frozen lake. She falls through the ice. He decides to save her for nebulous reasons. Um, he rescues her. We then she can't kill kids and dogs in movies. <sighs> Go on. So I'm collecting <laughs> myself here. It's funny to do this on video and see you actually have an aneurysm internally. 
Uh, we come forward to what would be not too long after the capture of Blofeld at the conclusion of Spectre. Uh, Madeline is, and Bond are enjoying time in Italy. Bond goes to Vesper Lind's tomb to get closure, I suppose. Only to be bombed and ambushed by Spectre thugs, one of whom... One of them is supposed to be our chief thug. I think they call him Cyclops. Let me just say, Dave Batista makes a better impression as a Bond henchman in a three-minute fight scene than this waste of space does in an entire three-hour movie. <laughs> um, he tells him, Bond wants to know how they found him. He says, oh, Madeline's a daughter of Spectre. She's betrayed you. Like everyone, like everyone does, James. Don't you understand? He's practically doing a bad Blofeld delivery. Bond renders him unconscious, grabs Madeline. They go through a car chase. They escape. But Bond can't trust her anymore. He now thinks she might have betrayed him. So he puts her on a train, says goodbye, says you'll never see me again. But there's a whole other movie to go. So we know that's not true. We then jump forward in time five years because there's nothing this iteration of Bond loves more than time skips. <laughs> uh, but five years later, we track a few Spectre operatives as they break into a not even black site off the not even black site uh, bio what is it some kind of a laboratory for bioweapons. Uh, the character that we primarily follow, who is just bad comic relief, uh, Valdo Obrichev, is given is called by some mysterious force that says Spectre is coming. Follow the plan, he says. Yes, master. <laughs> he does his best Renfield impression. Uh, Spectre agents show up, kill all the scientists except him. They head out. Uh, I'll get into how stupid this bioweapon is, is in a minute, but they head out. Uh, we then cover, come over to James Bond, who is living a quiet, retired life in the woods deliberately in Jamaica. Uh, he is approached by... Uh, old CIA buddy Felix Leiter and a State Department colleague, Logan Ash. They want his help in finding uh, this particular scientist and figuring out what's going on. They've kind of tracked him to Cuba. We're introduced to the new 007. Uh, what's her name? Nomi? Captain Marvel. Not quite. <laughs> uh, it's Osana Lynch. And yeah, it, like yeah Nomi. Nomi or Nami or Namaste. It's a it's an O, so I'm going with Nomi, okay. who tells him to stay out of her way. Because she don't need no stinking man. I, I just need to say briefly, I love the fact that they gave her this enormous chip on her shoulder, and, and it comes across as, un, as unpleasant as it's supposed to. Yeah. Like, they don't paint her. Like, the problem with Captain Marvel was they tried to paint her as this paradigm. And no, no when I said Captain Marvel, I meant like like the black Captain Marvel from the, from the uh, comic books. Because isn't uh, that what... Haven't read isn't, okay, I believe... Never mind. Just keep going. Uh, so they head to Cuba. They... Uh, he, makes, he makes contact with a local CIA agent. They bust up a Spectre meeting where all the Spectre head honchos have gathered to celebrate Blofeld's birthday. We find out that... Uh, 
Blofeld is kind of remotely controlling this whole action and plans to kill Bond with this Project Heracles stuff, which we'll get to in a second. And he, uh, Blofeld having anticipated Bond being here and uh, finding out about it in one way or another, uh, he releases a bunch of Heracles onto the party, but this is where the double turn from Obruchev kicks in and all of the Spectre honchos start dying horribly while Bond is left perfectly fine. They There's a gunfight and a chase scene and Bond is able to get the scientists back to the CIA shrimp boat, I think it was, uh, with uh, where he meets up with Felix and Logan Ash. They interrogate Obrichev, where at which point it comes out that Logan Ash is in fact a double agent working for uh, Sarfin, Safin, Safin, Seraphin, Paraffin, Saffron. I don't know. <laughs> Rami Malik, Freddie Mercury with a burned up face. Uh, he's working with them. There's another fight. Felix dies, sadly. Uh, Bond is picked up by a cargo ship. He returns to England and confronts his old MI5 colleagues about what six mi6 mi5 is domestic mi6 is international uh he confronts his old mi6 colleagues most notably ray fines as m because bond knows what project heracles is and this is where we kind of get the info info dump about that it's not just a plague mark it's my least favorite thing in crappy crappy cinema it's nanobots, nanobots. yeah buddy i I I rolled so hard <laughs> in the theater. Yes, sir. So hard. Uh, they're nanobots that can be encoded with a person's DNA. And if they then make physical contact, they proceed to attack, cause cellular decay, uh, and kill you. And it's meant... You can see the intent. The intent is to be able to get this on someone and it will then transfer around until it gets to the person you need it to get to quietly and no, and it won't cause any collateral damage. And it's, you can see the thought experiment, but now it's been captured by this other uh, entity and is who, uh, and Safin is using it to wipe out Spectre. And in fact has at this point killed everyone except Blofeld. This is where we're reintroduced to Madeline Swan because she is the therapist that is treating Blofeld in his uh, in the raft. Uh, I forget where it was exactly. Marshfeld, I think. Marshfeld. Belmarsh. Um, Rami Malik shows up and tells uh, and tells Madeline that he is the author of all her pain, <laughs> and gives her some of and gives her some of the nanobots in the form of perfume and just take this into proximity with Blofeld and then it'll do the rest and Bond shows up and there's an awkward meeting between them. Bond and Blofeld talk and Blofeld this movie makes better use of Christoph Waltz and Blofeld than the entire movie designed around him. <laughs> he gets the best line here about when he talks to Bond. He says, well, I just, you know, I, I suppose you came all this way. I should tell you. He tells him a little bit. Uh, but mostly mm -hmm. just that Madeline is the one with all of the answers. Right. And then he says, well, but you did come all this way to talk to me. So I suppose I should give you something. You know, Madeline never betrayed you. I just set up a perpetual ambush and waiting at Vesper's grave, figuring you'd go there sooner or later. <laughs> and then you fell right for it. I, I mean, I wanted you dead, but having you live in an empty 
hollow world devoid of human connection is the next best thing. Look at your life and how pointless it is. And Bond loses his crap and <laughs> tries to strangle him, get, gains composure, but he had touched Madeline and transferred the nanites from the nanobots from her to him. And then he touches Blofeld. So they get to him, they kill Blofeld. Uh, Bond goes to see her at her ancestral home in Norway. Don't know why they're speaking French then, but okay. But while there, for the he... same reason that in American movies, anyone who's from a foreign land speaks British. Fair enough. Uh, while there, he encounters Madeline's daughter, who is. <laughs> I love the way the pitch meeting did this, so I'm gonna cop. I'm gonna steal from uh, <laughs> Ryan. Uh, and yeah, this is totally not your daughter. You have a daughter, not your daughter. Like, like she, he shows up and Bond's like, oh, you have a kid. And immediately Madeline goes, yeah, she's not yours. And we all just roll our eyes. Like, really? <laughs> We're doing this. Uh, they spend time. They, slight, they somewhat reconnect. More stuff happens. Turns out they're being tracked. Bond, they, the three of them try to make a run for it. There's a car chase. There's a gunfight in the woods. Rami Malik is able to abduct them and takes them to his island. It's a somewhat, it's an old, uh, it, it's a converted factory that used to be a submarine bay in what in an, an island that is in waters that are somewhat disputed territory between Russia and Japan. And we now get the full the full breadth of what uh, Rami Malik is planning. He has been mass producing these nanobots, and he's encoded huge like thousands of individual people into this and he plans on selling this stuff to whoever wants to get it and nefarious pointless like oh god i'll get to it the world is at stake don't you understand mock <laughs> chaos cats and dogs living together mass hysteria <laughs> uh, we have to save the world um so Bond and Nomi infiltrate uh, this particular base. They discover the full breadth of what's going on. They get hemmed up. There's a lot of gunplay. James Bond goes to have a conversation with Rami Malek because, for no reason other than this is what you have to do in a James Bond movie at some point. They talk. Sort of. <laughs> uh, Bond is able to kill all the guards. Rami Malek escapes. Bond decides that the best way to deal with this is to open up the blast shields <laughs> and and then have one of the British cruisers that's in that's somewhat in vicinity fire missiles at this particular place and blow it off the map. This is the only way to deal with what's going on. So he sends Madeline and their daughter and uh, Nomi and he sends them off. He goes to open the blast doors. He does so, but on his way out, they start closing again. He is then shot by Rami Malek. They fight. Rami Malek infects him with nanobots. These ones in particular coded to kill Madeline and their daughter. So poor James Bond can never physically touch his uh, the love of his life or his child. And Bond has been shot and now told that I can't ever touch the people I love again. So he just shoots Rami Malek a few times after letting him monologue for far too long. Mm -hmm. Goes and reopens the blast doors and decides that, you know what? I've had a good run. <laughs> I mean, 
Never mind that I work for one of the most powerful intelligence agencies in the world. And I'm sure they can come up with a way to defuse. Like, I'll get to the nanobots later. But he just decides, you know what? I've been shot. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here and get blown up. And he does. Uh, the missiles come in. They blow the facility all to hell. James Bond is dead. In the aftermath of this, all of his colleagues at MI6 hold a brief remembrance and then they get back to work while Madeline pledges to tell her daughter about the type of man her father was. And and movie, and per usual, we get the credits that James Bond will return. I mean, Daniel Craig won't, and I don't... I'm going to yell about this later. But end scene, end tenure of Daniel Craig as James Bond. <sighs> And three hours of my life. God. So I, I think the I think there's a more dinosaurs here thing going on. Just a bit. <laughs> I'm referring specifically to the length of the film. I think people saw what they did with like the return of the king. And it's like, okay, all any kind of conclusion to an epic tale has to hit like the three hour mark. So what's the most... It really you know, doesn't. I, I, well, what's the most modern example of this? And it, it's kind of... Marvel, for all of its joy that it's brought people, um, has really been, in a lot of ways, a disaster for the film industry. Boy, in this, you ain't kidding. In this way only. I'm not necessarily referring to content. I know that's part of your issue with it, but I don't care about that. Um, <laughs> you want you want good content? Go see Titan and Zola and Lamb and Pig and any other move in any other indie movie that was named after a farm animal this year. Um, for the rest of us mortals, the fact that the Marvel movies are silly popcorn movies is sort of immaterial. The effect that Marvel had on the film industry, late, relating back to James Bond, is it was successful in the things that it did. But no one ever takes the time in positions of film power to ask the question, why was this successful and why it's not always going to be successful anytime it's tried everywhere else. So, for example, Marvel does the sort of chapter and verse long form storytelling that leads to Avengers and then ultimately to Endgame. And it makes billions and billions of dollars. And, you know, for just as an example, Warner Brothers looks at that and goes, we should do that. We don't know why it's working, but let's just copy what Marvel's doing and we'll make billions of dollars too. And of course they don't. And we've covered that ad nauseum. So kind of a similar thing here. Uh, Return of the King does a three hour movie concluding J.R.R. Tolkien's epic fantasy trilogy. And for whatever the arguments are about the multiple endings bit, it that was a movie that earned its ending. All of them. Um, Endgame was a movie that earned its ending. It you know it earned the right to be three hours and slowly but surely walk down the flight of stairs to get to the final uh, conclusion. And it ends almost perfectly. If, in many cases, it ends perfectly. But I think a lot of people in Hollywood, you know, this film being a prime example, is going, well, this is the end of an epic James Bond five film run. So it has to be three hours. And, you know, and it has to have like this epic conclusion and we have to kill James. We have to, we have to, we have to. And it's like, okay, if you don't earn it, it's not going to work. And here's the thing. The, the, the Daniel Craig James Bond movies have a slight thread 
that goes through them that get you to Casino Royale to No Time to Die. But it's not Lord of the Rings and it's not the Avengers. No, it, it was it was as mentioned at the top. It wasn't that well planned out. No, so that's my point. Like we're supposed, you're ultimately mourning the loss of Daniel Craig than you are James Bond by the end of this. And if you're not like sentimentally attached to Daniel Craig in this role, boy, is like the the needless buildup of three hours and then finally concluding with a glorious explosion. You're like, who fucking cares? And that that is the beginning of my problem with this movie. You know, it's not just the length. I can watch a three-hour movie, clearly. I just named two of them. Um, you know, had Star Wars been... Had the Re- Revenge of the Sith been uh, three hours? I think it's like two and a half. But had it gotten to the, like, the 2.45, three-hour mark, at least that would have earned it, too. They, they yeah, was a, they I, was a, I, you could argue that, yeah. Um, as good or bad as you think those movies are, there was at least a through thread that it you know it had earned the right to be that long um uh this the the sequel trilogy doesn't by the way in case anyone was wondering where i stood on that no. <laughs> um in any case it's kind of going through some of my thoughts as i watched this thing when i was awake for it um i it feels like the movie has trouble figuring out how to do james bond in the the woke cancel culture 2020s and you know the misogynist you know womanizing james bond is not something that sits well with not everybody but many people in the modern audience oh man you, were, and, you if, if you went back and re-listened to some of our stuff you remember the blowback they got for his sequence with monica bellucci inspector yeah i also remember which, the joke i made which made you uncomfortable and then listening yeah. back to it like probably crossed the line there what are you I, gonna do it, it it's more that I think that scene in particular was over was taken way out of context and way overblown by people tr- looking to be so offended. The substitute for it is James Bond jostles. Um, what's what's the love of his life's name? I can't remember. Madeline. Madeline. Yeah, James Bond jostles Madeline once or twice. Like that's it. That's the that's what they've had to reduce James Bond to. And I'm not one of these people who looking at you know Timothy Dalton on the motorcycle and comparing it to Daniel Craig on the back of a that, moped with hang on. Lynch. That that was that was not to, to, uh, Pierce that, Brosnan. That, and for the record, that was Pierce Brosnan and Michelle Yeoh. And mm-hmm. well, the point is, I remember like in our private chat, like we put that poster up, that picture up, and someone got bent out of shape about it. It's not that. I'm not, I don't so much care that you have to try to figure out how James Bond fits in a modern context. It's the things you're choosing don't work either. You know, him grabbing her by the arm and jostling her a little bit doesn't substitute for all the things about James Bond you either really, really hate or you really, really like. It, it doesn't make up for that in any kind of way. And so, which goes to another issue. Um, I guess they started in with the Madeline stuff inspector. I don't honestly don't remember anymore, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't. So the fact that um, you, what you're supposed to get is like, I guess by the end of specter, he was walking away from being a spy and he was going to settle in with Madeline. And then at the beginning of this one, it all gets blown up for a variety of reasons. And as an audience member, you're supposed to feel for James Bond. You're supposed to feel for her and be heartbroken that they're, you know that these star-crossed lovers um had everything turned on its head and i felt nothing and that's not because i'm a robot it's i don't think you sure <laughs> i don't think there was enough film investment um through five movies to where 
if you're going, you know, it, it was all the way built up and then you broke it apart. I, I don't feel like there was enough invested in their relationship to get the audience reaction that you were looking for there. Um, so a lot of the James Bond Madeline stuff doesn't really work for me. I don't feel like it was written well enough for what they were going for. Also, Madeline has, at least in this movie, no personality other than <laughs> mousy and embarrassed, it feels like. That's like her entire character. It's kind of, ah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. that's it. That's, that's all she does. And lies about her yeah, daughter. Yeah, exactly like that with the hand gestures. And the, <laughs> yeah, and the, and the accent and the accent changes. Yeah, it, it, it's an uncanny, uh, <laughs> uncanny little. I am quite the impressionist. Uh, yeah. So, a couple. It's just so I'm not completely negative. There are th things I liked about this. I like the initial motorcycle chase. It is funny to me because we, we we complained about like Black Widow falling from the moon. And you know, or out of a building, and not a not nary a scratch on her. How is it that James Bond can be standing as close as I am to my computer to an explosion, and he gets mildly jostled and some dirt on him? Like I understand you, I understand you're not going to kill him off in the first five minutes of the movie, but then orchestrate your explosion trap a little bit better so that it is at least somewhat believable. I, I went over this with Sky. I think it was Skyfall, wasn't it? Where the car flips over 87 times. I'm like, that no, that, that's dead. That's Casino Royale. That, okay. Well, was one, there was something I complained about Skyfall, too, where it was utterly uh, uh, ridiculous. I think your big gripe about Skyfall was the plan to get at uh, killing M. And like, there's mm -hmm. a few too many intricacies for your taste. Yeah, there was that. So, okay, going to Casino Royale then, because that specifically is the thing I'm talking about. You know, him flipping in the car 87 times and he gets out and it's like, you know, doesn't even have a limp. <laughs> like, there were some things you, we we do with the James Bond character that I'm I'm willing to accept an exciting, you know, defying physics F nine style stunt. I'm not willing for you to sit there, and I know I said this with Casino Royale, for you to sit there and tell me this is supposed to be greedy realism. He's this close to an explosion, and it just pushes him back a, sm a smidgen. Like, uh, come on, that's not how explosions work. Well, for the record, I think I think Casino Royale was the last attempt that this this iteration of Bond went for gritty realism. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to call the aesthetic that they've gone with here, and, and I don't I don't mean that to be like this like this is so bad or it, like I genuinely don't have the proper categorization for it because and, and this is not the only movie that this is true of. Uh, you get a lot of this with like Mission Impossible. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but Mission you know, Impossible was always heavy on, on the crazy stunts. A little bit, but they one they like. There's a pretty clear delineation point in Mission Impossible after uh, three. Mm -hmm. Like when you get to four and beyond, it's we've now left. Right. It's, that was when Tom Cruise started hanging off of trains, planes, and automobiles. You know, and and that was what those became known for. Just, but well, well, hang on. But but the point there is, uh, mm -hmm. there are a, a series of movies, and this this iteration of James Bond is one of them. The Bourne movies, I think, absolutely fall into this category after the first one. They try to blend realism mm -hmm. with basically comic book superheroes, right? And I don't think it. I and, think. 
the, I think there are some who do it better than others. I don't think the James Bond series of five movies did it well. I agree with that. And I think my point is, I don't, you know, again, I, I can't call this gritty realism. It right. way is not, way is <laughs> no, not. And, no, it's and, not. And that's not a bad thing. It's just a, it's just a stylistic choice, mm -hmm. but it's also not, uh, you know, it's not as utterly devoid of divorced from reality as the F not the fast and furious series, right? especially the last three entries. Yeah. It doesn't fully commit to a aesthetic in that way. And maybe that's part of the issue I have with this. Like, when we talked about F9, <clears throat> I like those movies because they fully embrace the stupid. I like the Marvel movies because they also embrace the stupid. Um, the problem I have with, I think, like the Warner Brothers mo uh, DC movies is they couldn't figure out what they wanted to be either. So, like, you can do, I, I think, you, you know, if you want to fully embrace, like, kind of like a Christopher Nolan, Tenet kind of, you know, grit. Like, I don't think Tenet embraces stupid, or rather Christopher Nolan. I think Nolan really does try to go for something that looks at least quasi-realistic. And I and I, he commits. So I don't no, mind it when he Yeah, does. Nolan's genius, I think, I've said this before, I think Nolan's genius is taking a single fantastical element mm -hmm. and then making the rest of the world feel, like, it's a little bit like Stephen King, mm -hmm. right? Stephen King goes out of his way to create a world that feels entirely real except for the supernatural horror element that's going on. Right, but you believe that the supernatural horror element can happen in there. Yeah. Like so, like the dark. I, I swear to God, we'll talk about no time to die again. I promise, audience. <laughs> but um, but like the opening bank robbery scene in the Dark Knight, mm -hmm. like like it's perfect. And what and whether or not you could get some expert to sort of you know examine it and go, well, no, here's what's wrong with these things. I don't. It comes off as looking as perfect as you're going to get on film. And so whatever whatever all else happens in that movie, it never strays too far from the tone set by that first scene. That yeah. is the point. So like with James Bond movies, it's sometimes we're doing like really fun motorcycle chases. And like, I love the, um, I actually do enjoy that whole first opening sequence. Once he, yeah. getting past him getting blown up at, at Vespa's grave, which was like stupid. Um, once he's on the run and he's on the motorcycle, at, well, I think he grabs Madeline at the end of that sequence and they're in the bulletproof car mm -hmm. and, you know, and it spins around and everything. My daughter had some really funny things to say about that. It was like, why didn't he just drive away? And I'm like, Lily, he was surrounded by people shooting guns at him. Like, yeah, eh, like, he just should have driven. I'm like, he's not in a monster truck. Yeah, like the, you, you can't. There's physical barriers here. He has to. He has like to. He get, was trying to get away. Like she fucking he has to get on. these things. He has to get these things out of his way. Then once right. he does, then once he does, he drives off. Like right. He's like he didn't sit there. He you know with like a machine gun and just start shooting everybody, um, because he had to kill every last one of them. Now I like so that all, all that stuff I like. Um, I actually I and I know it's sort of a, of course you like Lashana Lynch in this. You're supposed to. Giving the woman credit, she's playing a character who now has to be the first person walking in the shoes of James Bond. And all that goes with that. The pressure that goes with it, the anxiety, the feeling the need to prove yourself. And then he comes back in the room and she can't even have that to herself. Now she has to literally stand next to the guy and be as good or better than he is. You know, they, I love. There's a great little sequence. It's very subtle. It's one of the things that the movie does do well, where something along the lines of like, 
double O what? Double yeah, O what? <laughs> they, they they reinstate James Bond as a double O. Mm-hmm. And she immediately goes double O what? Like he's gonna take her like she is <laughs> And no one she, in the room's listening to her. She is she is triple H. Like someone's gonna take her spot. Yeah. And, and she must keep everyone else away from her spot. Well, it's it's one of those and, like how do you if so you're doing you know you're doing a modest production and you have some fairly unknown actors but then Robert De Niro walks in the room and says well I want to be in this too and you're like how do you say no to Robert De Niro and but but you're the lead in this thing and you and like like I think of my part to De Niro and who could stop them if they wanted to but I want my part you know and like I she's the she's the realest character in this entire movie with the only and the only one that has a personality I related to. Yeah, there's. I'm with you in that respect. You know, there's that bit where she goes double O what, and then everyone <laughs> ignores her because they all right. because <laughs> this needs to be preferenced. They're not ignoring her because she sucks. Mm-hmm. They're ignoring her because the issue at hand is world altering <laughs> bioweapons. Right. In the, and you care about your designation? What a human thing that is, though. It's like I understand the world is is going to end, but um, I I don't shit on me. <laughs> you know, as, like, though, I, I, as though anyone was. I mean, she, <laughs> that character. I mentioned this a little bit briefly. I, I want to get mm-hmm. into a little bit more detail here. She's written as being unpleasant. Yeah. And I want to get, but hang on, hang, not, hang on, hang on. Well, let me not let me, shrill. Yeah, I just want to point that out because you say unpleasant, and everyone goes goes Ghostbusters twenty sixteen. No, 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 not like that. Not an asshole. Not shrill. Not char- Not Elizabeth Banks is Charlie Angels. She's actually a well developed character, yeah. but their character traits are on the negative side. Go. Yeah, and there's a world of difference there. Mm-hmm. She's she's not screeching. Right. Like when she's walking James Bond when he's a visitor through the area and someone else and people are walking by going, you know, 007 and she looks at him and goes, boy, that must annoy you. And he could <laughs> he could not possibly care less. Right. But she's a little bit paranoid again about her. I, I hate to use the pro wrestling term. She's paranoid about her spot. Right. Like I got to close the show. I have to pose, brother. This is how the this is how it ends. I was and... gonna say it's it's a, it's a, it's a very much Hulk Hogan Ultimate Warrior thing where you know, but in this but in this iteration she's kind of Hulk Hogan. It's just like like you know like I'll let you be here for a little while, but eventually we're gonna as Gavin once said get things back to where they need to be. Very you know very much concerned with well, I'm not gonna have you let let you have too much of the spotlight. Meanwhile, as you said, there's James Bond going. I was happy in Jamaica. I didn't want any of this. Yeah, really. I was. <laughs> you went out of your way to find me, right? And now you're trying to wheedle at me about being like, no. <laughs> and again, he doesn't care. And then, right? After, like when he throws it back at her, it's great because yeah. at that, like, if he does that to her apropos of nothing, then he's a he's the jerk, right? When she's kind of been, you know, pushing him a little bit, and he just kind of shows appropriate backbone, mm-hmm. like. That's appreciated, and I, yeah, I there's like, a lot of calm the fuck down with him. I like. So I wanted to praise the writing of her character in the sense that this is how you can write a character that's meant to be a little unpleasant. Yeah, but is still an engaging character. Like she's yes. she's competent, but not overbearing. And, and this has been true of James Bond for the for like the best Bond stories. Bond is a 
uh, is you know, hyper competent in certain areas, but there's other things that he just can't do very well. And the, some of the better Bond stories are when he has to navigate that space and how he gets around it. Yeah. So having her be here and she's good at her job, she's a valuable, uh, she's a valuable character to have, and she's interesting to follow, but she's also kind of unpleasant to be around. And writing that, writing a character like that, striking that balance, takes some effort, and I do think that deserves a tremendous amount of praise. I want to talk um, briefly about something. I was listening to the critically acclaimed guys talk about this today, and I'm not going to get into their whole review, but one of them said something that I actually thought was dead on and, and definitely something that gave me pause. In, in five James Bond movies, two of them are him still learning the job. And then in the third one, the, we, the, third one, the, uh, the floor beneath him crumbles, and then he's, he's just falling for three movies. Till, you know, till, till he gets blown up. And they made a point in saying we never got the chapter where he's Batman in the Dark Knight, to go back to that again. You know, in Batman in the Dark Knight, he's been Batman for a few years now. And he's the best he's ever going to be at this job. Um, and it's not until the very end of the movie where it all comes crashing down. But at least we got to see Batman at the height of his powers for an entire two-hour movie. Yeah, we never get that with James Bond. The closest we get is, I'm probably going to say the closest we get is Spectre. Mm -hmm. We get, I would have said Skyfall, because I think, and for the record, I think Skyfall is probably the best of these movies. Mm -hmm. And there's certainly room for debate about that. The world seems to agree with you. Fair enough. I agree with them on occasion. Yeah. But as you mentioned, you know, Skyfall's opening bit is he gets shot off of a moving train, falls <laughs> 300 feet into a, a river, and then we spend the next 20 minutes talking about how broken down he is physically. Yeah. Like we just we never get to enjoy the chapter yeah. where James Bond is just is the best at his job and and just out there on a mission. Yeah. And the mission is over and the movie ends and he hasn't really progressed as a person, but that's okay. You know, I mean, the, the guy, Ian Fleming, wrote, like, millions of these books. There had to have been a fair number of them where he was just out there doing missions, and the mission's over, and he goes home and has has a whiskey. You know, I, yeah. I, well, I, I, I kind of, with this whole series, you know, part of this review is not just a review of No Time to Die, but really a review of the whole James Bond, the Daniel Craig James Bond series. And it's like, I lament the fact that we never got that. That it's I, always I been either him trying to get, get his head around the job or him trying to get away from the job. He never just does the job. Yeah, I... Getting to this movie in particular, I and I have a few other things that we can kind of relate to the rest of them, to the rest of these movies. Um, let me start with the big one, I think, that has dogged the entire Daniel Craig as James Bond experience. The entire set of marching orders for the casting, for all the James Bond villains in this series, seems to have gone as follows. Hire really good actors. Like, really good actors. In two cases, Academy Award winning actors. Three? I think Malik might have won one. I have to double check. But hire these exceptionally talented people. And then give them nothing to do. <laughs> You hire Mads Mikkelsen. 
And he's probably the second best of the James Bond villains that come out of this group. And because you get a bit, because he actually gets to be a character for a little bit. Like we actually follow what he does in places that do not involve James Bond being in the room with him. Mm -hmm. But then I almost don't want to talk about Quantum of Solace, not because it's a terrible movie. But because that movie was so badly affected by the writer's strike that it almost, it just can't compare for reasons that aren't really its fault. They had a shooting schedule, and when the writers went on strike, they had some of it written, and some of it fleshed out, and some of it big empty spaces. And they just had to go with shooting what they had, and that damned the movie and that's not anyone's fault as such yeah there might have been other people that could have handled it better but you're never really going to turn in greatness from that right so i, I kind of want to set quantum solace aside in that respect then hey javier bardem who is awesome and is the best james bond villain that's come out of this stretch uh, but that is mostly that is saved more by the strength of his performance and the story they're trying to tell rather than his character, rather than the, the writing necessarily being the strongest. It's not terrible there, but I'm 90 percent sure Bardem uh, either improvised or brought his own ideas to the plate to help that along. Then we get to Spectre. And who do we hire? We are Christoph Waltz, a two time Oscar winner a genuinely phenomenal actor and we waste him like i don't know how i don't understand i still don't how you cast christoph waltz as blofeld and get that result it <laughs> it doesn't compute like what happened here uh and then we get to this and we hire Rami Malek, another good actor. And we put burn makeup over half of his face, which is mm -hmm. fine. Like, I, I don't actually object to that. But we basically tell him to do half of his Mr. Robot voice. <laughs> so everything's kind of right here. And I talk like this and I don't really do anything. And, I, and we give him stupid flowery prose, and for some reason he's adopted a Japanese aesthetic that's never actually explained. <laughs> I want to wear a, I want to wear, you know, a, a traditional Japanese, I forget what a male kimono, because like, I'm, but I want to wear that for the final sequence. Sure, like this is never like, <laughs> why? You're not Japanese. Your character's Russian. Let's go. What's going on here? <laughs> Uh, and it, it's a it's a giant weakness of like the weak Bond movies in particular for this group are weak in no small part because of how poor the villains are yeah the villain is a eh, I'm going to rehash territory that Pat and I talked about and if you haven't heard our lengthy discuss we had there's a two part uh, series of everyone loves a bad guy that are devoted entirely to, to James Bond movie villains the first is everything before Pierce Brosnan. The second is Pierce Brosnan and then Daniel Craig up until uh, Skyfall, if memory serves. And James Bond is, what do they call it? 
uh, oh yeah there's a there's a subtype of character right like when you when you're talking about you know what kind of role a character fulfills there's a group of characters called iconic characters these are characters that don't actually have arcs right they exist and the it, the interest in the sh in the medium be this books or movies or whatever is watching them do the thing they do like sherlock holmes does not have an arc he's sherlock holmes at the beginning of a movie uh, or a book in the middle and at the end he's sherlock holmes that doesn't change he doesn't have a he doesn't have a character arc he doesn't have a whole lot of character growth he's just sherlock holmes and we watch those movies and read those books to watch him or watch the television shows to watch him do Sherlock Holmes things. That's the, that is the thrust of the appeal. Uh, James Bond is another one of these. The, the challenge with writing an iconic character like that is you need to then give them an appropriate foil to play off of to make everything work. Because if left, if taken purely as what the character does, there's interest. It's not like it's necessarily uninteresting, but it really lacks a kind of uh, uh, sizzle. Like th there's nothing extra there. There's no there's no spark. And James Bond needs a good villain to be opposite. And when he got decent villains in these movies, it worked. Casino Royale is a perfectly fine movie. He and Mads Mikkelsen play off of each other very, very well. My issues with some of the technicalities in the poker setting notwithstanding, the acting between the two of them is great. When he gets to be opposite Javier Bardem, it's great. When he beats up the tiny French scientist for 20 minutes in <laughs> Quantum of Solace, falls a little bit flat. When you utterly waste Christoph Waltz as Blofeld, it falls flat. And here, when he's talking to Rami Malik as Malik is menacing his daughter, not daughter, like, there's nothing. These two characters have never shared a single scene. Yeah. And now they're supposed to engage in dialogue like, like, like this matters? Shouldn't this have ended with, like, him and Blofeld falling into Mountain Doom? Like I like, <laughs> you know, just Blofeld biting off his finger, and they all and they both go over the falls. Like that's the thing. They're like, we're gonna have this really epic ending. The you know the glorious conclusion to the James Bond saga with a villain we're only meeting for the first time, and was more interested in Madeline than he ever was in yeah. James Bond. That that is my biggest issue with Rami Malek. It's a, his it's a real problem. His performance in this is understated, but I don't mind understated. I don't need everybody to be Skeletor or Mumra. Um, but on the but other some, hand, some motivation would have been nice. Some, yeah. Well, that, so again, this got brought up in critically acclaimed. I'm just going to repeat it here. It was like, his whole thing was that, uh, Madeline's father had, um, like, no, I, like I, I get his beef with Spectre. Like, no, 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 that, I, that's what I'm getting at. Like, but he accomplished the mission. Yeah. <laughs> like that was pretty the, early. There was nothing else to, there was nothing else to bring the do. And so it was like, I understand what, what sets James Bond in his path is he's got a biological weapon. Go get it and stop him from using it. There, there's a film frame missing here. But why does he want to destroy the world? Yeah, like that second part is like 
his beef with Spectre's fine. And then right. it's the entire setup to the finale where it's like, well, he accomplished his mission, but oh no, he wants to destroy the world too. Like, okay. But, yeah, but it's like a, a, a trope that happens in a lot of these kinds of movies is we want the biological weapon because we want to sell it to the highest bidder, bidder and make all kinds of, we want to make all the monies. Okay, he's not doing that. He wants to destroy really. the world because well, he's he is selling it at the end, but like yeah. it's very badly explained and set up. Yeah, again, they they didn't seem to know what they wanted to do. Or I'm going to destroy the world because revenge for whatever the reasons are, environmental reasons, I was abused reasons, whatever the reasons are. It's this is my way of getting back at a world that wronged me. Or this, or you know, or it's a Thanos kind of a thing. This is my way of correcting what I feel to be a um, a natural wrong in the universe. None of those things are present. He's just like, I'm going to blow up the world, but for why? Because eh, I'm doing a this movie. <laughs> That's why, and I have nothing else to do. And so you have this. It is a wonder they were able to pull off anything at, at all with this, because like the final fight between them. Again, it's not, you know, it's not Optimus Prime Megatron or anything like that. It's it's actually quite the opposite. But I kind of like that as, as an aesthetic choice. Like, do, why does everything have to be the most biggest, most megaris, most, you know, Rocky Apollo fight ever? I'm, I'm like, okay two, with it. Two old men kind of, it almost feels like, how, uh, what's his, Mr. Uh, Hubert or whatever from Family Guy when he's fighting with the German guy. And it's like two old men fighting and it's like the most slowest fighting ever. I was like kind of okay with that, given what was happening here. The problem is, the f just as an example, the fight between Rocky and Apollo, there's an emotional investment. It's not just yeah. two guys punching each other in the head. There's a whole thing going involved, getting involved with the two of these people that have pit them against one another. Um, when you don't have that, you just have the Avengers fighting endless Ultron bots, where there's no investment other than you just kind of want to see the Avengers win. Um, yeah, I mean, and you, you, you could argue that, well, if they lose normal. the world, the, the world gets destroyed, but there's no, but when Thor hits an Ultron bot with a hammer, there's no, there's no emotional investment for you as the viewer. It's just a mindless face of zombie. Well, um, as has been endlessly pointed out, it's not an Avengers movie until they fight a bunch of faceless until they fight a giant <laughs> army of faceless drones. So now imagine again no emotional investment in these characters in opposition to one another but yet we're going to spend a good 10 minutes on this with them fighting and while the fighting itself is artfully done there's nothing else to it yeah it's and i just wanted it to be over and, the... and god rami malik never shuts up <laughs> like after not he only does he not show up but it's all mumble whisper how does he like he, he infects James with these specific bunch of nanobots that are coded for Madeline and by extension her child? And then he spends like three minutes talking <laughs> about how he had just accomplished the most fiendish plot that ever fiended. And now you are afflicted with the kiss of death. Never right. again will you be able to touch the ones you love. I have and I <laughs> I got to a certain point when I went, just shoot him. And then like <laughs> 10, 15, 20 seconds, keep going. And I'm like, why aren't you shooting him? Right. Why are you letting him talk writer of this particular movie who just felt way too in love with their own purple prose? Shame on you. Because we felt like we had to is uh, the point that I made an hour ago. 
And that's this whole movie. Why is this in the movie? Because it has to be. It's the end of the James Bond this is what, Craig era. And like this, it's that on, over and over and over again. This movie is what happens when your movie is constructed via checklist. Yeah. Like, you must do... Well, this doesn't leave a whole lot of room for... And nope, you must do all of these. Mm-hmm. But really, I'd like to tell a slightly different story. And I'd like to tweak this. And nope, you gotta do all of these. I mean, it, it's it's what people are really complaining about when they complain about the Marvel formula. Yeah. Now, I think I, to the credit of the Marvel formula, I think there is a, enough flexibility within it to let them do to do variations. Aesthetically, yes. That there, there are style and aesthetic things that happen in a Marvel movie that are the director's own, yeah. And that's kind of what that's kind of the the Faustian bargain you make when you make one of these. It's like, okay, I'd like to make I'd, I'd like to make a Chinese fantasy kung fu picture. Okay, these are the things that need to be in this and the non negotiable. I don't give a shit what else you do. And it's like, okay, I'm gonna go make well, Shang Chi now. Yeah, and unfortunately, in this instance, they were given a list of things that they had to do that was just a mile long well that's the thing that this you know there's been some praise given to the director of this thing who is uh carrie joji fukunaga fukunaga and like i don't get a sense of style or aesthetics from this this just feels like like you said kind of a cut and paste blah james bond movie but then they were like they, they, then they got a it was like they had a meeting a script meeting and they were like let's talk about what happens in some other glorious conclusions to film franchises take those ideas and write them on a whiteboard and then how did this okay i i'm i just i have to bring this how did this guy get this job <laughs> i mean, so, I mean... There, so you have words on a, you have key phrases and words on a whiteboard that represent a, any number of glorious conclusions and like okay this movie has to be this list of James Bond stuff that everyone likes, and then this list of glorious conclusion stuff that we've seen work everywhere else, do that. And this this doesn't feel like there was any kind of love in this movie. That doesn't feel like there was any kind of style, a point of view. I mean, what I know somewhere out there there are the you know the people of the world going, but why does it have to have any of those things? That's fine, but then I don't need a three-hour B movie either. Like, fucking pick one. If your movie has no point of view, no style, no aesthetics, and it's okay. just a checklist of shit happening, cut this in fucking half. It didn't need to be, didn't need to be two hours. 90 minutes would have done it. Okay, I figured out how he got this job. Okay. How did he get, wait, hang on. Did you, anything about what I just said? No, I agree entirely. Okay, go ahead. Uh, I was looking at his filmography, and in 2009, he directed Sin Nombre, which is... Mm-hmm. It's not bad, but it's, you know, um, it, it kind of is what it is in that respect. In 2011, he directed a, a Jane Eyre adaptation, mm-hmm. which went largely unre- unremarked. And then in 2015, he directed Beasts of No Nation, which I have seen. Okay. Oh, he directed it. No, he wrote it. Oh, yeah. You're, you are correct. Let me read the chart correctly. But that was the last feature film he did was Beasts of No Nation, which is, in some respects, a very good movie. But I don't know that I would look at the guy who directed that and went, I need this guy for James Bond. Right. I think he got this more on the back of first writing the first part of it. And then 
his television work where he was the director of the first season of True Detective, which is remarkable television. But if you look at what he's done since, I mean, it's... Meh. There's just not... There's nothing here that make Like, when Sam Mendes was hired to direct one of these, or... um, Oh, God, who was the other one? All right. I, I can't, but it, it just, it didn't, it's a bit of an odd choice to have this guy direct this movie. And I think, um, I think unfortunately part of it might've been a bit of a prestige thing for him. <laughs> so he was happy to do the checklist because I, there's, I, there's not a tremendous amount that speaks to his personal style in some respects. I don't say this to a started a, a tangential argument because I really want to move on to the money. And I don't say this to tweak your nipples as much as I enjoy doing that. It's one of the things that brings me great joy in this world. But um, <laughs> but at least when Taika Watiti directs a movie, his his Taika Watitiness is all over that movie. Whether it was um, you know just Ragnarok being the most obvious choice to talk about, like that was very distinctly Taika Watiti. It had a point of view, it had a style, it had an aesthetic. It was very much his vision with, you know, with the Marvel checklist. And I think for that, I give, you know, like I would, you know, give it more uh, emphasis and credit over, over No Time to Die, which again just feels like if you enjoyed the action sequences, this is the last thing I wanted to talk about, actually, just kind of dovetailing back into the thing, first thing we talked about. Like, if, it, if you like the collection of action sequences in this and, you know, you liked, you know, to see a hero defeat a, to defeat a villain, I'm not going to take that away from you. But I feel like a James Bond movie should be a little bit more than your average popcorn video store shelf action movie, especially when you're ending the series with this character. Um, the last thing, and, and and then we'll we'll get out of here. We'll move on to the next segment. Um so the whole third act of this thing, besides the fight with Rami Malek, is James Bond walking around with a rifle shooting people. And as I said to you at the top of this thing, and as I said to you when we talked about it before Midnight Mass, I'm not interested in seeing James Bond do Arnold Schwarzenegger's Commando. I'm not interested in, James, in Daniel Craig doing what Schwarzenegger and Stallone and Jason Statham and so many other... Vin Diesel, The Rock... Uh, Idris Elba, for fuck's sake. I'm more interested in seeing them do those. John Cena. I'm more interested in seeing those people nah, do those you, I don't think you can even call... You can't even say John Cena does stuff like this, that comedic hack. Fine. Um, up, but I, I would much rather see those guys do those things than, you know, old man Daniel Craig. I it just, like... Again, it just felt forced... It felt like, well, we have to. What else are we going to do with this guy? And that whole third act just utterly lost me. All I wanted this movie to be was over. And not just because it was three hours, but because the whole third act was flat and disinteresting to me. I'll give you the final word and we'll move on. Uh, I, I think you're correct. I think the third act in this is a real problem because they try to escalate the stakes to a ridiculous level for reasons that are not clear. Either internally or like the only I imagine the only external reason was they were given a note <laughs> because this character has no reason to do this. And there's nothing about the final infiltration in action sequence that says 
James Bond. Mm-hmm. It, I'm not opposed to James Bond doing gunplay like this. I'm really not. But it still needs to be set up properly. It still needs to... Uh, and I don't think this is, and I think that's a problem. Uh, here's, uh, here's, I think, a, a thing that stuck that I was struck uh, with as I was watching this movie. If you've never heard this bit from Steven Spielberg, I think, and Spielberg very much wants to direct a James Bond movie, and I, I kind of hope they let him, just for my own curiosity. If they do, I want him to be riding a motorcycle, and it goes so high, you see the silhouette in the moon, and then it comes back down again. Yes, you would want that. <laughs> I don't know why you would want that, but you would. Because I'm a silly human being, that's why. <laughs> yeah. But... He did, uh, if you've ever heard him talk about uh, the last, uh, n- n- sorry, if you've ever heard him talk about the Temple of Doom, it go- his, his, pre- his premise, like the, the preface to him talking about this and some of the stuff I've seen is the original script for Raiders of the Lost Ark was too big. If you, and if you don't quite know what I mean by that, the, it goes the following. The original script for Raiders of the Lost Ark actually included, in addition to everything we saw, a scene where they river, where they raft down river rapids, a scene where they do the minecart chase, and oh, what was the other one? Might have been the bridge. There might have been like there. There's one other. There's one other action sequence that was originally in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And Spielberg looked at that and went, this is too big. He, he looked at the script and not, this is not about length. This is about what are we trying to do and how can we accomplish this in the best way? And you can't put that much into a movie. It just, it, everything then falls apart. It, nothing feels like it's supposed to. So they cut a few of those and they just, they lifted the ideas of those sequences and put them in Temple of Doom where they work much better. I don't think there was any bit of reflection about that when it came to this script. Because this has a bit where James Bond is chased by cars on foot. Then where there's a car chase. Then there's a shootout and a car chase and an escape from a, an escape from a sinking boat. And, and then he goes to, and then there's a tense, in, then there's a tense scene between Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter because that's all that sequence is. Every <laughs> writer, I don't, I, I remember where I heard this actually. So, I I heard someone mention this. Every writer at some point in their career does some variation of Will Graham talking with Hannibal Lecter. That's what we got. And then there's that, and then there's another car chase sequence that dovetails into a shootout going through the woods. And then there's a big dive sequence out of an airplane and an infiltration sequence and a gunfight and a fight over a pit of acid. And then there's a one-shot take sequence of James Bond fighting upstairs with uh, with rifles and pistols and hand-to-hand combat. And he blows up a guy's eye with his EMP watch. And at no point did someone look at this and go, you know, there's a bit too much here. <laughs> maybe let's not do all the things maybe we should trim back a few like just a thought right 
Like that that clearly never entered into the equation. Real quick, there was an there's a YouTube. I don't I don't I don't watch his YouTube videos anymore. It was I, I think everything awesome. And like at one point he kept doing I've heard leaks of the Avengers Endgame script. And it was like everything was Kang, the Living Tribunal, like every <laughs> everybody was showing up in Endgame. It was, you know, the entire you know, mm-hmm. Jack Kirby Marvel Pantheon of celestial characters where it's going to show up in Endgame. We didn't get that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yet. But um, you know, but let us assume he's not a completely lying hack. And that maybe that was a consideration. At some point, the Russes had to say, maybe we don't need the living tribunal in the story that we're telling. How many new characters you want to introduce in this mess? You know. Well, I mean, the answer to that is yes. <laughs> um, on the positive side of this movie, I think all of the action sequences sort of independent of their issues in, as far as the larger film, they're all shot competently. They're all, tr- they're all followable. They're mostly engaging, and I that certainly deserves some credit. Uh, Daniel Craig is still a great James Bond. Uh, Ray Fiennes does a great job in the in the M role. I, if you were going to get rid of Dame Judi Dench, and I, much as I think that was a interesting decision, for want of a better phrase, uh, he 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 does a very good job in that particular role. Uh, this I said this before. I think the sequence where Bond interrogates Blofeld does a better job of making Blofeld seem like a big deal than the entire Spectre movie did. Mm-hmm. I think, much as I think that Blofeld having a bionic eye and somehow running a literal worldwide counterintelligence agency terrorist organization while trapped in a deeply secure facility in the like that's the dumbest thing and much as i think the entire nanobot thing is uh, is just the dumbest i you know believe it or not when they introduced his watch this time that the what the gimmick for his watch was going to be a low level emp my genuine thought was, oh, he's going to be infected with nanobots and use that to disarm them. Because that makes sense. Right. And apparently the pitch meeting guy agreed with me. He's like, oh, he's been infected with these nanobots. Oh, so he can use his EMP watch to disable them. No, they're nanobots. <laughs> well, isn't that? No. Nanobots are a thing that I can put in the script and they can do whatever I want them to do. Right. And they never run out of a charge. You, you you can't blow them up using electricity, you know, with an EMP. They I sure it, hope it, you don't need an MRI. Yeah, it's, it's just magic. They they they're magical. Just uh, it's why I hate. It is why I those are. There's a handful of like techno babble terms that are giant red flags for me mm-hmm. because it means you as the writer are being lazy. And you right. want to do what you want to do when you want to do it with no thought about what it means beyond I want to do this right now. And it's sad and annoying and very, very stupid. And the hey, last thing. Before you do, I, no, no, there's actually one I, other complaint I want to make, but it's very specific. I have um, a very specific praise thing I want to do, and it will tee you up just as well. No, no, it won't. So right. I, I used to really, really love the uh, the James Bond songs. You know, I was actually... Uh, 
trying to get my kids to maybe semi-interested in the James Bond movies, I was actually playing a record of a collection of the James Bond ones. And like the garbage one, The World Is Not Enough. And I think that Madonna has done one. And there's a whole bunch I really, really love. And I've actually enjoyed quite a number of them in this iteration of Bond too. I hated the Billie Eilish version. Oh my God, the one in this movie sucks so bad. But if you disagree with me, and you want to well, hear it for yourself. Hang on, because oh, I, l- let, <laughs> let me, me the damn let, let me let me dovetail this because it's going to help you plug this. Okay, sure. Much as I'm with you, I did not care for this James Bond song almost at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I rather enjoyed writing on the wall from Spectre. I I got what I knew what was going to happen as soon as I heard that song. I'm going to hear covers of this that I like better than this version, and I did. Oh yeah, the Chris have. Cornell one is good too. Um. I don't dislike Adele's, mm. um, but speaking, setting aside Billie Eilish, they got Hans Zimmer to do the music for this one, mm-hmm. and you can't go wrong with Hans Zimmer scoring your film. Like, I'll you just can't. You this is what you meant by teeing me up. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> because I genuine, I love the, not the Billie Eilish song, but I love the score for this movie. He mm-hmm. riffs on the James Bond theme well. He does a great job building tension with music when he's supposed to. Like, Hans Zimmer is the man. Yeah. And if you want to listen to the Hans Zimmer score, I wouldn't listen to the Billie Eilish song. It sucks. But if you want to listen to Chris Cornell or Madonna or Garbage, any one of the people who have done these great James Bond songs, theme songs over the years, they're all collected for you. They're all available on Amazon Music. Get out of here. They're all available on AmazonMusic.com. Oh, sorry, um, I forgot to I forgot to mute myself. That's my mistake. I'm shooing my dog did. away from something. Um, my apologies. Slash W2M Network. We're giving away a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited uh, service. So go ahead and click the link in the description of this podcast. Fill out the information. You'll get your free 30 days. You can download all the James Bond music you want. Uh, and then when you're done with that, when your 30 days are up, if you like the service, and why wouldn't you? Because it's, you know, free music. Um, you keep it. You pay the monthly service fee like you would with Spotify or Pandora or Apple Music. Um, but if you don't and you do want to get rid of it, you can just get you can just cancel the service. No fuss, no muss, no contracts, no nothing like that. And with that said, let's go ahead and talk about the money. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. All right. So this thing had a budget of like 300 million. It says 250 to 300, but considering this thing has been delayed since 1985. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm with you. Let's err on the high side. Yeah. The 300. And I think that's modest. Um, it's currently made. That's uh, probably 300 before marketing. Yeah. Um, but if this is this is what it says on the Wikipedia page. So that's what we're going with. Three hundred and one million dollar budget at the box office at the time of this recording, which is a Tuesday night. It's made worldwide three hundred and twenty one million. That's not what it made in its opening weekend. It had opened all over the world prior to it opening in the United States this past weekend. Um, it actually came in under projections for the weekend. Um, they were thinking with Venom and how well that did that it would uh, that it would come in at about i think they said i think i read like 80 or 90 million and it did not <laughs> it, it came in at about 55 million i think for the for the weekend um yeah i'm looking at the 
domestic 2021 you could you know you could share the screen for box office mojo and we could all look at that oh, fuck me i'm really off my game tonight man Must... yeah look that's why i'm here i am here to prop up i'm here I... to help prop you up i i will carry you when you need to be carried oh i appreciate you paying attention to me and telling me that hey i'm not doing the thing i'm supposed to do because some people don't do that so i appreciate you telling me and i appreciate you robert winfrey moving on Aww, thank you you're welcome um domestic 2021 weekend uh october 8th through the 11th of 2021 including indigenous people's day weekend apparently columbus day look <laughs> look you, no I, hang on <laughs> i'm not gonna get into a deep thing you can i'm perfectly willing to praise columbus for the things that he deserves to be praised for as well as say he was a bit of a genocidal madman in certain parts of his life we can we can discuss the nuance of humanity a little bit can't we not everyone is all villain or all hero no time to die seems to have grossed about 62 million for the weekend and it was the number one movie uh in the united states um venom fell from am i looking at the right chart hang on Robin uh, Eighth through the eleventh. So no, yeah. I, I, I. There we go. Now I'm in the right place. All right. Um, no, no, nope. that's last week. That's God damn it. <laughs> uh, hang on. Why is this not the? Okay. It feels like the website's different than it used to be. Why am I having? Why am I struggling? <laughs> <laughs> it's cold and there are wolves after you <laughs> maybe uh and click the 8th to the 11th one and i think that's what it'll be that's where it was but it normally tells you where the thing where the movie was the weekend before and that part of it's not there and that's what they i'm might, struggling with they might not have updated anyway venom number venom let there be carnage um was number two for the weekend uh hey I'm before we go too deep into that, No Time to Die underperformed a little bit. Um, Venom 2 suffered a, what, 65 or so percent drop? Something like that, yeah. Now, under other circumstances, that wouldn't be all, that wouldn't necessarily be all that bad. But I feel like they were really hoping for a hold of closer to like 55 as opposed to 65. They're. Uh, that was... Uh, there we go. Now I'm in the right place. Yeah, right um, about 65%. Yeah, that's... Uh, okay, you know what it was? I was looking at the four-day weekend, not the not the three-day weekend. Ah, uh, that. so they were waiting to count today then. Okay. Okay, so starting again. No Time to Die debuted at number one for the weekend and had a $55 million gross for the traditional Friday to Sunday weekend. Whew! <laughs> Venom. Um, ah, it's not... It wasn't me. It was I was on the wrong page. Yeah, yeah um venom uh fell from one to two yeah and had a, almost a 65 percent drop it's right there right there on the screen um Man, that's that's not great but it could also be worse adam's family too which was pvod and uh in theaters fell from two to three and had a 41 percent drop shang chi uh dropped from three to four and had only a 30 percent drop but this yeah, is a six week in the theater shang chi at this point is i mean it's done. And I don't mean that to say like it's crap or it's done making money, but it's going to hang around by virtue uh, for a little bit, just kind of by virtue of other stuff still coming out and other things dropping and it maybe having a modest hold. But 
at this point, it's basically made all its money. Um, the Many Saints of Newark dropped from four to five. Um, it had a good. 70% drop. Yeah, no yeah. one. You that know what's funny? Good. The irony of the Many Saints of Newark is that apparently HBO Max had like a oh, record yeah. viewing of The Sopranos. So people are perfectly not, willing to watch The Sopranos. Nobody give a shit about this movie. No, 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 no. It's not only that. Um, it all the many saints of newark as its own thing broke streaming records for hbo max mm -hmm. like people watched the crap like i don't know how much they on hbo it. max yeah yeah and I... it, yeah it did in fact drive a, a resurgence of people to use hbo max to rewatch the sopranos so. yeah no, you're I mean, getting they... you're getting people to spend more time on like this is a, it's an odd little thing but if Apart from just subscription numbers, if you want to try and measure how much success a streaming service is having, one of the primary ways you do it is by measuring time spent on your website. Right. And if I think the reality is if Many Saints of Newark drives a renewed interest in rewatching The Sopranos, it'll still be considered a success, even though it even though the right. movie in and of itself is not going to do great, great numbers. Well, financially. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, you know. If the if the many the way that they're measuring success, Warner Brothers is for the year is not just how it does in theaters. They know they're going to get a depressed financial um, gain in theaters right now, not just because of the state of the market and the pandemic, but also because they're day and date on their subscription without a premium fee. So their other way of measuring and finding success is whether or not this drives traffic to HBO Max. And so well, that's that, a really well, good I mean, Netflix does of, the same thing. Right. No, no, I understand that. Um, well, the, the, the difference being, though, is that Warner Brothers said this was a nice thing to do for this year, and I think it was necessary to do this year, and we're never going to let us never speak of the shortcut again. They have said they are exclusively theatrical next year. I'll be curious to see what Universal does, because Universal is taking more of a Disney approach which is basically, eh, we'll see. Movie to movie. We have no idea what the, what's happening in this world. So maybe a Halloween goes on Peacock. Maybe it doesn't. We don't. We couldn't tell you. There's no... Universal has no plans. <laughs> Man crazy. Universal crazy has no plan. Uh, Pretty... Like, pr I mean, seriously. <laughs> they threw in the towel on 2020. Mm. Pretty much. They pushed a bunch of their stuff to 2021 and we're like well we're gonna have to release are you talking about paramount or universal i don't know either because universe paramount's the one that gave up on 2020 universal well i actually well universal... paramount all hang on paramount also gave up on 2021 when they went wait <laughs> you mean we'd have to be releasing maverick and then mission impossible within weeks of each other and tom cruise is fighting tom cruise in the box office brawl and oh crap this is terrible how about we just look at next year yeah. Um, just real quick about Halloween Kills, which is day and date this weekend on Peacock. And, and as much as that decision annoyed the shit out of me, Jason Blum came out and said, yeah, it, that has an all, to, all to do with I messed up the distribution model for Halloween 2018 and I didn't want to do it this time. So I made sure it was available to anyone that wanted to see it by putting it on Peacock. And I went, so you're a professional in Hollywood, you say? OK, hang on, hang on. Uh, to be to be fair to Jason Blum, mm -hmm. the issue that surrounded Halloween 2018 was they took forever and a freaking day <laughs> to make that not a joke like that things. Uh, I think that came became available digitally after it was available physically. 
I'd have okay. to double check that, but like th that's that's the kind of thing we're talking about here. He came into th this one very much like, okay, we need a distributor for the digital after theatrical. You know, like we need this to be set up beforehand. We don't want to be struggling to find someone to host this digitally right. and lose any chance we might have at monetizing it in that respect. Right. Um, so it's just a little bit of a learning curve. And I mean, come on. How many people have really figured this out yet? Free Guy in its ninth week stayed at number six for the for the weekend. Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, Evan Hansen. <laughs> do it. Do it. <laughs> um, do it. Do what? It's a look at how look at how it's crashing, Mark. Look at how oh, it's that. crashing. Yeah, dear Evan. Well, like can I get there? Dear you Evan can. Hansen in only three weeks in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> Again, poor Universal. This fucking something that should have been fucking day and date. Uh, fell from five to seven and grossed only a million dollars. Is grossed a uh, million dollars for the weekend. Yeah. So dear it's Evan Hansen. Total. <laughs> Look at its total gross. It's thirteen million. Oh yeah, <laughs> how about that? <laughs> what was the what was the budget on the hey? Look at the budget while I continue this. Yeah, right. let me have a look at that. Lamb, which I actually heard the critical uh, claim guys review today, uh, apparently not as good as I wanted it to be. That debuted <laughs> at number eight. <laughs> budget for Dear Evan Hansen twenty seven to twenty eight million. <laughs> how did you spend twenty eight million dollars on that? Oh, uh, Candyman in its seventh <laughs> in its seventh week. This was actually a, pr a pretty big hit for Universal. Um, fell from seven to nine. Uh, a fathom a fathom event featuring uh, an opera debuted at number ten. Jungle Cruise eight to eleven. Um, Titan, where a girl gets pregnant by a car. Sues <laughs> for paternity. Uh, eleven to twelve. Paw Patrol Dane date on Paramount Plus is thirteen. Stayed that way for two weeks in a row. The Jesus music ten to fourteen, Cry Macho twelve to fifteen. After we fell, after we fell, apparently opened up in a whole bunch of new yeah. theaters. Apparently, so that jumped from uh, twenty three to sixteen. Looks like it looks like it opened in another hundred or so locations. Uh, Don't breathe fifteen to seventeen, Malignant fourteen to eighteen. Speaking of things that bombed, um, I think uh, I think Malignant, like others, is going to be they're going to be looking more at the traffic that it did for HBO. Yeah, and everyone just it's a. And I think we mentioned this before. It's kind of a shame because if that's theatrical exclusive, I mean, you're not breaking the bank with Malignant, but you've got a pretty solid hit. Um, I'm Your Man opened up in more theaters, so that jumped from 21 to 19. Cop Shop uh, dropped by half from 17 to 20. The Eyes of Tammy Faye uh, dropped from 16 to 21. Oof. And then finally... Yeah, it's a Look, that's a prestige picture. You released yeah. that to get to try and get awards. Sure. Uh, and I'm sure, Mark, when you fill out your ballot for the Oscars. Um, Mass debuted at number tw uh, 26, and that's from Bleecker Street. Then Golden Voices uh, for Music Box debuted at number 33 and made less than $7,000. Yikes. Worldwide. Let's see where we stand. Probably Nothing's changed. <laughs> hey, uh, look. No, nothing's no, changed. No, no. Fuck off. Look at what's changed. The Battle of Lake Shangjin jumped up. Oh, hello! It knocked it knocked Godzilla versus. Wow, what a sexy voice you have, sir! Hello, it knocked Godzilla versus Kong out of the out of the top four. Ha ha! 
the four, four, three Dude, out of the four. Hang on, hang on. A moment of silence, please. Yes. For the following reality. Shang-Chi might not make more than Godzilla versus Kong. <laughs> I mean, look, it still might beat it. I'm not, this is not me declaring. Mm-hmm. But as has been mentioned, this month is stacked. Shang-Chi's pretty much had its theatrical run. And it's, what, $60 million or so still behind Godzilla versus Kong. Yep. <clears throat> I'm it's not, the, let me be clear. the rest of the year. Like, it gets to December before there's even, like, a decent, a halfway decent break in big hit movies. And then you're into literally all within a two-week period. Spider-Man, The Kingsman, The Matrix, Sing... Um, and I, and if you're into this sort of thing, I know we're going to review it. Another Benicio del, not Benicio del Toro, Guillermo del uh, Toro movie. And again, I am not calling Shang-Chi a bomb. It is most certainly not. It's a, it is a giant success by any appreciable metric, but Godzilla versus Kong substantially underperformed. And there's a non-trivial chance Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings does not surpass it at the worldwide box office. Well, if you look at the difference in Shang-Chi between domestic gross and foreign, compare that with F9, okay? Let's let's do an apples-to-apples comparison. Two movies meant for worldwide distribution, meant to be appreciated by the Asian market, um, and look at, like, the difference between the two. So... Hardly can, anyone goes to see in America I, F9, but the rest of the world. I goes can to tell see you ex- I can tell you exactly the difference between F9 well, and Shang-Chi. But for the people one, at home not looking at the chart, one. you know, give, give me a second. And then you have 189 foreign, which is basically like eh, nobody nobody in the rest of the world gave a shit, but in America it makes 213. Like if you just look at the domestic chart on this thing, um it's probably i think it's the number one domestic for the you got to click the arrow if you want to see the domestic stuff i don't gotta do nothing but stay black and die first of all yeah Yeah. shang chi's at the top my god if you look at domestic it's shang chi black widow f9 quiet place venom free guy jungle cruise and then godzilla before you're less than 100 million the domestic box office for 2021 is i'd have to double check this and i want to wait until the end of the year to be sure it's not that much different than 2020 if we're looking at like raw numbers. Here, there it is. Um, 2020. Uh, yeah, Bad Boys at 206. I mean, it's I mean, better. It's better it, than 2020. It's better, but not like, by a lot. Like, wh- I mean, especially if you again, if you want hilarity, look at 2019, well, where <laughs> hang on, I only mean it in the following. Mm-hmm. Like, if you if you track the box office returns leading up to 2019, they go. Actually, let me. They go up. Actually, I'm sorry, this way. We have the slope. It goes up, and then we get to then 2019, and then 2020s way down here. <laughs> it drops like a rock. Right, but I mean, theaters didn't operate for three to six months. And I think the point there is 2021 hasn't quite rebounded as strong as a lot of people want you to believe it's 
we it's were not starting, that bad, but it was starting to do okay. And then we had a research, we had the, the Delta variant resurgence and people oh, not man. wanting to mask and not wanting to get vaccines. And no oh boy, COVID went up and nobody wants to go out anymore. Um, I mean, it happens. So yeah, anyway, it does, and it'll probably happen again next year. I think if it'll do a little, I think it'll be a little bit better, but it'll, you know. it, it'll look, it's going to keep ticking up, right? But you know, we're going to have 18 variants next year as well that come out and have people freaking out and get your umpteenth booster shot. And then, oh, and <laughs> anyway, you know, out this tell segment. me I'm wrong <laughs> and, and look, get vaccinated people. All right. I'm not. I'm not here saying. Right. I'm not Before here saying. Before we get don't. kicked off of YouTube for doing stuff like that, Jason. Um, hey, I'm saying get vaccinated. Who knows what this week they'll be kicking people over YouTube for? That's that's fair. The <laughs> YouTube is a dark and scary place full of monsters. Speaking of monsters, as I was saying, um, the Battle of Shake of uh, Lake Changi has just just skyrocketed up the chart here to number four, knocking Godzilla down to. Uh, Five, Shang-Chi comes in at number six, which overtook Black Widow, um, which is a, a fair achievement considering Black Widow was day and date with Premier Access. Uh, Free Guy at number eight. Um, okay. no it's high hitting at number nine. Yeah, coming in at number nine. And then uh, A Quiet Place Part the Two. Non- and so I don't, so A Quiet Place Part Two is going to get knocked out by Eternals yeah. when that when that hits. And I think, well, I think he, well, here's the thing we, we have, there are at least four movies. That I think break the top ten okay. by the I'm end curious. of the year. I'm um, one of them got. is Eternals. I think Eternals cracks into the top ten, and I'm not going to say how high it's going to go. I'm not going to get into that argument again. I um, I will tentatively agree with your assessment there. I mean, much as I want it to fall flat on its stupid face, um, I also I think, live in the real world. Uh, I, Eternals cracks the top ten. Ghostbusters cracks the top ten. Ghostbusters probably does. Yeah. Spider Man absolutely does um you know what i'm gonna hang on i'm going to withhold judgment on spider-man only for the following reason and only for the following reason they're doing something very weird with that movie and it's intentional but if that weirdness is too weird that i don't expect it to let me let me be clear if we're talking about my own personal expectations my expectations are that you are correct I'm also going to allow for the possibility that the weirdness is just a bit too... This is the same kind of problem that the Eternals might might run into, and that Marvel's going to have to be skirting around with a lot of these properties. You're starting to do the cosmic stuff. That means things are going to get weird. <laughs> Weirder than usual, right? right? Like This is the territory we're getting into. You know, you joke about the Living Tribunal. We know the Celestials are going to be at play for the Eternals. So the Living Tribunal is not that far behind. We know you're getting the Fantastic Four back, so Galactus is probably going to show up at some point. Like, congratulations, we're in the weird territory, even for comics at this point. And that is going to bite them at some point. Will it be Spider-Man? My serious leaning is no. But... We're also doing multiverse stuff, and I'm I'm just not going to pretend that that's some kind of guarantor of success. I expect it, but are we increasing the probability that maybe this one doesn't? I think we are. So my money, and I'm not apparently according to FanDuel, I'm not allowed to bet in Florida. But if I could, <laughs> um, that so Eternals, Ghostbusters, Spider Man, and then. 
I'm going to go ahead and make a bold statement that Matrix makes the top 10. That is a bold statement in 2021. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Really, now hold on. I don't think you understand exactly how bold a statement that is. I mean, on the one hand, working against it is it stay in date on HBO Max. On the other hand, people seem to like the Matrix movies. Hang on. I'm very no... excited for the trailer. No, no, no. Portions of the internet are excited for the trailer. Let's not confuse the internet with reality. Fair enough. All right. To move this along as we can get to the final part of this. Um, this weekend, James Bond doesn't have a lot of stiff competition. It has a, um, a period drama from Disney slash Fox in The Last Duel. And it's got Halloween Kills, which is day and date on Peacock with no premiere, um, with no premiere price tag. And then the following week is Dune, which again is the same problem where it's day and date. Dune, Apparently, hey, hang on. it's Dune? killing out there. But on the other hand, people don't want to go to the movies all that much. Hang on, hang on. I, I think, I think working in Dune's favor is the following. That look, you don't need to see Halloween Kills on the big screen. No, right? you do not, and I don't intend to. Dune is a very cinematic movie by yeah. every. Like, I know. I I got my tickets for it already, and I and I have to go on a Thursday night at seven o'clock, despite it being a school night, because I'm taking my kids because I want to see it in IMAX. Uh, so the fact that again, some movies don't lose a whole lot by watching at home on your screen. Some do, and I think Dune is going to be one of those movies that you want the exper the the theatrical experience to go along with the type of movie that it is. So the um the only other movie in wide release is Ron's Gone Wrong, but your audience for Ron's Gone Wrong is not your audience for James Bond. I don't even um, know what that is. It's it's the last cartoon that was produced by 20th Century Animation. It might not. I don't think it was necessarily Blue Sky, but it was like some independent studio. It was being distributed by Fox, and then Fox got bought by Disney. So that's they, not like th that's not a selling point. Like I, I don't know what it is. Oh, it, it's moving on. Um, I'm not going to spend another ten minutes trying to explain to you a movie we're not going to talk about. Okay. Uh, uh, October 29th. The big one here is the new Edgar Wright uh, drama slash horror Last Night in Soho. Isn't that um, day and date? It's no, a, no, it's a focus feature. Okay. Um, oh, can I say this about last night in Soho? I the first trailers were promising. Then I saw one with dialogue, and suddenly all my like <laughs> Thomas all my voice is really weird. Um, but I like Anna Anya Taylor Joy. Um, and I I liked what I saw in the trailer. I'm looking forward to talking about it with you and Ron. So we'll see what happens. Um, um, oh, Antlers is that same weekend. It is that same weekend. Uh, and that's Searchlight, that, but it's getting a wide release. Anyway, I, I can't imagine either one of those does a lot of money and or is real competitive with James Bond. No, Bond, but then doesn't, uh, Bond doesn't have a tremendous, really big budget uh, kind of not until opposition Eternals. until Eternals. And by that yeah. point, Eternals is probably going to claim that weekend fairly handily. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Eternals, and then the tw I thought oh that's right they, they moved the they moved Ghostbusters to the nineteenth, and so Eternals will have a two week run of nothing <laughs> in its way. Though I want to talk to you here's so, the hey, real, real quick. I want to talk to you about this Belfast movie. Have you seen trailers for it yet? No. So not if a you, thing. If you can get a it, well, it's it's not going to be something that you're you're going to see 
people talking about the trailer because it's not a Marvel movie. However, bear with me here. Apparently, there's a lot of chatter and buzz that this is going to be the picture at the Oscars. So it might be something you might want to take a look at. It might no. be something we might want to talk about at some point. You know what I think of the Oscars? Na 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 na. And on that note, Mark, I forgot to tell you since we're on Twitch, you can't do that. Why? Because there are sound bots that will DMCA you for using copy using copyrighted music. They can figure out what I just did. Have at it. And you, hum, you hummed a song that someone owns. <laughs> I slapped myself. And that's a, so I, I changed the song in some way. I altered the song for no. purposes of parody. I now fall under <laughs> I now fall under fair fair use, see? Uh, and on that note. Are you ready? I said, are you ready? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 I remember to share my screen this time. All right. Um, Mark, who's sponsoring our look at the terrible critics that, uh, out there this week? You're right. This entire next bit is brought to you by the good people at Grammarly. Thank you, Robert. Um, Grammarly. I, like I said, I am happy to prop you up. Uh, AI, Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly helps corrects hundreds of grammar punctuation and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors improving your vocabulary and suggesting style improvements to download grammarly today go to getgrammarly.com slash w2m network again it's getgrammarly.com slash w2m network to download grammarly for free so the critics in the audience are about the same on this uh, it's got a rotten tomato score for, for the critics it's got a critical score of 84 it's got an audience score of 88 the critics say it isn't the sleekest or most daring 007 adventure, but No Time to Die concludes James Daniel Craig's franchise tenure in a satisfying style. And the audience says, Pfft. no, it says it's very long and packed with plot, but No Time to Die says goodbye to Daniel Craig's Bond with all the action and the excitement franchise fans expect. Fans expect apparently very little. Moving on. Mark, don't make me say it. <laughs> okay. You you just tried to bring up fan expectations in film. <laughs> you know, you really, five you hours really ago, you said you weren't going to insult the audience. I just want to remind you of that. I said, no, no, no. Look, guys, the following is not an insult. Some of you, and you know who you are, have fairly low expectations for film. And you know what? You might be perfectly happy with that. And I'm not here to say that you're a terrible person for having low expectations of film. But let's not pretend that you hold everything to the highest standard when you when you don't like that's you want to do so fine. I'm not here to rain on your parade, but we're going to be if we're going to be honest about this. Some of y'all spent a lot of time and money watching F9 or the Transformers movies. Yeah, their expectations, Mark, they're low. Abby Bernstein, not Leonard Bernstein, of Assignment X. It's sometimes thrilling, but even when it isn't, it satisfies. A 45-degree day. That's a, 
unhelpful review. <laughs> it uh, it's not helpful at all. Emmanuel Noisette of the movie blog, a sensational send off of Daniel Craig's James Bond. You know, you make I, fun of me for being impressed by glitter by jingling keys. Have you seen some on occasion? No, no. Yeah, yeah, look, what do you want me to say about that guy? <laughs> you, look, if you want to call this sensational, I certainly can't stop you from doing so. But we have a very different perspective on what constitutes a sensational film. Kimber Myers of Crooked Marquee, top critic, Red Star, one of the best of the best. This 25th film in the franchise is at once on brand with the two dozen films that preceded no. it. No. While managing new possibilities for almost sixty-year-old, for the almost sixty-year-old series. Can I? Can I have a? Mo I need to say this. I saw a number of people. I, I I saw I saw this from other critics. The line that. No time to die fully brings James Bond into the modern era, and I just. <laughs> I don't have words for that. Because what they're really saying is James Bond has his dick and balls ripped off, and that's what we like about it. Well, no. What they're saying he dies. <laughs> okay. And we'd really rather he were dead. <laughs> Without his dick and balls. No dick and balls. Speaking of dick and balls, Leonard Malton of LeonardMalton.com. Oh. Top critic. Wait. Wait. Yes, I get... Okay. I, I've wanted to say this to Leonard Malton for a long time now. You self-employed loser. <laughs> you write for your own website now. You're not in a publication of note. I'm glad that makes you happy. It really does. Like, irrationally so. <laughs> the caretakers of the intellectual property known as James Bond, knowing that their newest wow. would be the last one to start Daniel Craig, decided to spare no expense, spared no expense, to make this an epic entry in the series. I just wish there were less of it. I'm Hang on. I'm genuinely curious where he fell on the pass-fail scale, because that's how Rotten Tomatoes determines uh, fresher splat. But... You know, I actually don't really disagree with that. Like, that was one of our big complaints was you, you, you didn't need all this. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. Paul Safin of AMFM Magazine. It's worth the wait and is absolutely worth going to see on the big screen. It's big, Oof. bold, fun, and even more lighthearted in some ways than it has been oh, in years. Oh, get bent! <laughs> but then it hits you. But then it hits you with an emotional depth you won't see coming. Okay, sir, listen, buddy. It, sir, I don't think there's a DVD box for you to get on. It's fine. Calm the fuck down. Uh, look, listen, buddy. There's an emotional depth to this if you choose to believe all women when Madeline says this is not your child to the to James Bond about the five-year-old girl. <laughs> Very, like, with his eyes. And then, never mind that immediately after that, Rami Malik is sitting there going, James, this is your daughter. Don't you understand? Like, how is that a surprise? Like, it's a little bit, don't get me wrong, giving James Bond a child is a potentially interesting way to take that character. And given some of the things they did with this iteration of Bond, I was somewhat interested. 
Then, of course, yeah, they ruin it by killing the guy for no good reason, but c'est la vie. Uh, yeah, no, the, this thing's emotional core did not come out of nowhere. It's very clearly established. If you couldn't follow it, well, I'm sorry you had to pay attention. Marianne and Neil of Impression Blend. Had they nailed the villain here, this would have undoubtedly been one of the best entries in the entire Bond franchise, of which she's only seen the past four. Okay, a couple of th- one, yes. However, there's a grain of there is truth to that. If they had nailed the villain, this could have been. You want to know how to do that? I didn't get to this when we were doing the movie review, so let me give you my quick pitch for how to make this ending better. Real simple. You you don't kill Blofeld. In fact. You have Safin kill all the... You still have Safin kill all the Spectre agents. Then it's revealed that Blofeld's been playing him. And Blofeld is the one who tries to use this thing to... To take over the world. Like, that's the finale you need. Not James Bond in front of Rami Malek at a Japanese sitting table while he's wearing an... While he's wearing a... Again, like, like a kimono with kabuki masks in the background because <laughs> why exactly where am i japan no norway what um alan in a uh, film threat it is everything you expect from bond and appropriately and no. appropriately honors daniel craig for his service to the queen no not, not so sure about that look hang on this movie is suffering a little bit from uh what was it fast seven syndrome mm-hmm. where yeah. everybody everybody saw the, the the like the the epilogue the codetta at the end of that that was their tribute to paul walker which was beautiful and heart and heartfelt and touching it has nothing to do with the movie and if you want to judge the movie as the movie you actually have to stop after jason statham is put in prison and that's the movie you judge what follows is like i said a wonderful tribute to a person that meant a lot to those people and i'm not trying to dump on that but it has nothing to do with the quality of the movie so i don't think we've liked a single thing armin white has ever written from national review this does not surprise me no time to die proves that the decades old james bond franchise has reached a dead end the turn towards sadism that began with Daniel Craig's angry, sinister interpretation of 007 has reached an unconscionable How? level of heartlessness. This might be the most woke man on earth, Robert Winfrey. This boggles my mind a little bit. <laughs> I, I mean this in all sincerity, sir. I lived through James Bond shoving a man into a torpedo that was comprised of um drill teeth while mocking him about the first rule of mass media i watched james bond fire a blunt nuclear rod through a man's chest (laughs) are we are you sir seriously intimating that james what does james bond do that sadistic what does bond do that's sadistic here all right, just we got to do a few more of these, you, and then we got to go. You, sir, you are a silly, silly man. 
Um, he wants all the girls to pay attention to him and maybe some of the boys. Uh, Ryan Syrick of the Reader of Omaha, Nebraska. The only reason this isn't the most embarrassing thing Rami Malek has ever done is because he won an Oscar for a Brian Singer movie. <laughs> Yeah, I knew that would pop you. That's why I read it. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's that's pretty good. I I approve. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's see if I can find a really good one from one of our favorites here, and then we'll call it a night. Hang on. What is that? What is this person saying? Peter Rayner of Christian Science Monitor, top oh, critic. Oh God. Beautiful people abound, and 007 still knows how to fill out a tux. I had a reasonably, I had a reasonably good time at it, but as I watched the latest installment, the thought also occurred to me: Has James Bond become irrelevant? Oh, eat a dick! <laughs> well, hang on. Look, he brought up an interesting. There is a somewhat interesting point there that I do think needs to be somewhat discussed here. Yes. There's actually the scene where M goes, you know, there was a time when we could get into a room with these people. Yeah, yeah, that's a good scene. It is. It's a it's a wonderful scene. And it does kind of touch on something that goes to, you know, the James Bond film, more in addition to like just within world. You know, it, in a cinematic landscape that has largely eschewed subtlety and espionage and thinking, what does James Bond do other than become horribly silly or, you know, this like Mission Impossible Jason Bourne mashup? And I, I think that's a fair question. Okay, but I think that's not the question he's, he's no, no, no. getting at. He, uh, for him, no. Like he's, he's pointlessly going for quasi clickbait to go, is this beloved 60 year old film franchise that has evolved multiple times? across multiple iterations is it is might this be irrelevant given what james bond is and yeah, what he, he represents and no buddy get bent in, in that particular portion of his review the only thing that wasn't included it might be in the full review is the phrase toxic masculinity that's what he was talking about there i know and in that respect yeah he's an idiot right but well, that's I, why I, I, I suck a dick but i i just i did want to bring up i think there is this moron has <laughs> his his stupid point overlaps just a bit with a real point. Yes. The question about what do you do with James Bond in the 2020s, I think, is an is a discuss is food for a dis an inter interesting discussion. The idea that we can't have James Bond because how dare we have masculine men masculinizing? Yeah. Um, eat a dick. Hundred percent. Speaking of eat a dick, last one. Alyssa Wilkinson of Vox, top critic. I once posted an article from Vox and immediately got a response from John that said, don't you know better than that? <laughs> so anyway. Well, it, <laughs> you do now, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, really. I don't post from there or giant robot, any, giant freaking robot anymore. Yeah, but um, you still cite variety for some reason. You know, you can eat a dick too. Um, it, feels, <laughs> it feels like 2019's Avengers Endgame. Like the end of a cycle, a grand epic about sacrifice and the future of mankind. But it also gives us a bond with more emotion and maybe even humanity than many of his predecessors seem to possess. I think you are 
I'm going to come back to what James Bond is. James Bond is not a character that needs a tremendous amount of humanity. Neither is Sherlock Holmes. It doesn't mean you want them to be robots. Although I'm pretty sure there is a robot, a story of there's a Sherlock Holmes adaptation where he is a robot. I'm 90% sure. Wouldn't shock me. One iota. But when you give them arcs like this, it does somewhat detract from kind of the appeal of a James Bond. And again, the same is true of Sherlock Holmes or to an extent, Indiana Jones, or you can name them. You know, you could run down the list of all of the Conan, Mm -hmm. right? You watch a Conan movie to watch Conan do Conan things. Is he going, is are there going to be things in there that are supposed to kind of keep you engaged? Sure. But you know, take Conan the Barbarian. There much of an arc for Conan? No. Not not really. <laughs> he gets revenge. Like that's that's kind of it. Does he does he learn a lesson? Not really. He falls in love at one point, but that's not an arc. That's a thing. Especially in that movie. Like <laughs> maybe I'm not saying you can't have a romantic movie where falling in love is your character's arc. You can. Sure. But you don't Conan's arc is not about falling in love and finding, you know, uh, people that matter to it. Like Conan's arc is I'm the arc of Conan is the arc of his sword as it slices through your neck. <laughs> and going deviating too much from that does kind of detract from what makes these characters interesting. And you can't do this with every character, but. For the, for the subset of characters that have become iconic in that respect, yeah, you kind of can and you kind of should. All right. I think the last thing I want to do here, since we're kind of talking about this franchise in general, the, the producers and, and whatnot have come out and said, we're not even going to start talking about who the next James Bond is going to be until next year, which okay. I think is fair. The three front runners that I've seen kind of discussed around li- online are Tom Hardy, Idris Elba, and Henry Cavill. All good choices. I would agree with that. I'm somewhat irrationally rooting for Henry Cavill only for the following re- only for the following reason. Because if he gets to be Geralt of Rivia and Superman and James Bond, <laughs> like I yes, give that man everything. Henry Cavill's all did you see this clip that floated around? I mean, you might not appreciate what this, what he does here, but uh, when promoting, I forget what he was promoting, uh, somebody asked him, so what's your favorite science fiction franchise, Star Trek or Star Wars? And without hesitating, the man said Gundam. <laughs> like, his is a nerddom that is so pure. <laughs> yeah, give that man James Bond, please. Okay, I'm going to irrationally root for Idris Elba because the I, I would be very interested to see Elba do it. He, he's a little bit of an older guy. I mean, they could pretty easily not play that. Mm-hmm. But I would be. I don't object to a slightly older James Bond. You know, let's let's meet him when he knows what he's doing. Yeah, I, I that that's my let's let's sign Idris Elba to a three picture deal with amazon and uh, and mgm and let's just do let's go back to the timothy dalton pierce brosnan episodic compartmentalized james bond doing james bond stuff let's yeah. get a, let's let, let's give this a couple of years off and then let's come back with idris elba having a grand old time 
being James Bond, doing fun James Bond things. That's what I want to see. Yeah, and just for the record, any of those three that I think are the kind of the front runners, I don't think you could go wrong with any of them. Nope, Tom Hardy's a good actor, and I'm not going to get into the debate with you about the, his mumble peg delivery, because apparently in Bronson, he's fucking Shakespeare or some shit. So, you just, <laughs> look, you just have seen Tom Hardy in, in for some reason, <laughs> like your exposure to his work has largely been stuff where they've asked him to do weird stuff with it. Like, he's Mad well, Max. Even and Inception, though, like I couldn't understand a word he was saying. That's because you don't. That's because you can't follow his accent. Mm. That's not a delivery issue with him and Inception. That's all right. So uh, yesterday we had a whole bunch of stuff drop today. Your everyone loves a bad guy for slashers. I threw up. Um, we, we're building up towards the uh, Caleb Plant Canelo fight. So I'm reposting on our web page the uh, the two fights that got canelo to where he is the two fights i got caleb plant to where he is to where they're meeting for the undisputed super middleweight title that's up on the web page but those are old shows that have that are already available uh, the audio was already available um just uh starting sunday night we had my myself and robert did a um, alternative commentary for tyson fury versus Deontay wilder three we also streamed live to twitch so there's video of us reacting to it if you're interested in that sort of thing if you're if you're curious uh, that is our best performing video uh, uh, podcast right now that was released in the month of October. Um, myself and Sean did an audio only for Halloween Resurrection because his equipment was not working. Um, we did almost three hours last night on Midnight Mass. It was myself, Benjamin Cologne, was the most animated I've ever seen, Benjamin Cologne, um, and Alexis Haina. And now that's not Robert. fair. You've seen him draw himself before. <laughs> um, Hey, acknowledge my pun. <laughs> um, I threw up again. Um, when I say I put up, it's a combination of just creating a web page for and also releasing um, old archive material. So two, so all of our Lordy shows are now available. Um, Killac Collection, um, Monstereophonic, and Demonocracy, or whatever the hell it was called, and uh, Sexorcism. That's all up and available and on the web page and on YouTube. Uh, we had an obituary album that's um, that's up again, <laughs> uh, the self-titled obituary album, and I didn't. Oh, and two Steel Panthers. I released uh, those as well, so oh, those are all up and available. Um, and uh, hang on, who believe in Glob and Gobin? Um, I think that's it for the stuff that I re-released again. Yeah, Midnight Mass Slashers. Oh, Mastodon. That's the one I couldn't remember. I was like, I know there's another one. Uh, Mast uh, Mastodon has a new album coming out. So we threw up a, a web page for Mastodon Emperor of Sand, which we reviewed in 2017. Again, the audio has always been available, but um, now you can check it out on the website as well. Um, as far as what we're doing the rest of the week, tomorrow we're doing uh, the new Monster Magnet album that came out earlier this year. It's, an, it's a covers album. I like to do like covers albums in October, so I usually wait for October to do them. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so check out the new Monster Magnet review. We'll have myself and Ronnie Adams. Ronnie Adams was not going to let me get through another October without talking about the Halloween movie. So we we somehow managed to not do the original ever. We've done three. We've done two. We've done Resurrection. We've done all kinds of Halloween movies. We did, and we never uh, actually did the original. I believe, we did a comic book. I believe at some point we talked about the Rob Zombie movie. Halloween no, movies. we've never done that. That's on the calendar for next year. And Jason jumped on that grenade for me. Um, so we may have mentioned it in passing. We've never done an official show on it. 
In any case, uh, Ronnie and I this Thursday will review the original Halloween movie, the one that started it all. Um, and then this weekend, um, we've got a re-airing of our Evil Dead trilogy just in time for the anniversary of the Evil Dead movie, which there's like a Fathom event for where you can go see it um, on the big screen. Oh, if, that sh- if that's showing in your area, if you've never seen the original Evil Dead on big screen, it's, uh, look, if you think, I- I've said this before about the the first Evil Dead, the laughs you get out of it are more like low production value, but it's designed to be a horror movie. Right. When you get to Evil, when you get to Army, when you get to Army of Darkness, certainly, but also Evil Dead 2, that's when you're getting more into the splat stick, which is <laughs> yeah. hilarious and great, but... You know, <laughs> Evil Dead is actually a surprisingly effective horror movie for what it this is. This is my boomstick. Uh, we have a re-airing of our Peanuts review. Positive All right, you primitive positive. screwheads, listen up. <laughs> um, uh, honestly, it's probably the most positive review we've ever done. I don't think we had a bad thing to say about the Peanuts movie. Uh, I Dave, certainly didn't. David and I will be reviewing, um, doing an on-trial for the 1984, I believe it is, Doom, which I actually just watched today. What a fucking bizarre movie that is. Um, Tuesday Mark, night. I, 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 I want you to know, David Lynch is a damaged human being. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, now I want to go back and watch Dark Highway again. Um, we're gonna have a re-airing of the Mummy trilogy that Gavin and I reviewed a bunch of years back, and then we'll have a review. It'll be myself, uh, Jason Teasley, Ronnie Adams, and Robert uh, reviewing Halloween Kills. On Wednesday, we'll have another Mania of WrestleMania. This time, eight and nine, and then. The- <laughs> We'll have a Metal Hammer of Doom for Ice Nine Kills, a Silver Scream 2, uh, Welcome to Horrorwood. Uh, Thursday is the Four Kings of Boxing. We finally get to the fights now, so we're going to be talking Chapter 5, Sugar Ray versus Roberto Duran, who punched out a horse 1 and 2. Not 3, really, just 1 and 2. You really need a better introduction for Roberto Duran than who once punched out a horse. He once punched out a horse. Um, you have a clip for that, don't you? <laughs> I'm busy right now. Uh, Cradle of Filth. That's that's when I'm beating a dead horse. Not when I'm not when I'm talking about punching a horse. There's a difference. Well, uh, he, Mon- Mungo punches a live horse in that clip. If you want a clip about flogging a dead horse, there's other clips. Anyway, Cradle of Filth has a new album coming out. Existence is futile. So I went back and dug in the archives, and hey, there's a Cradle of Filth album that we hadn't released yet. So uh, on this new feed, so. Uh, check out our re-airing of Cradle of Filth, Hammer of the Witches, which will uh, drop on Friday. And then our trivia that uh, Jesse and Alexis hosted on horror movies will drop the 30th. Um, Here's something I found on the web. According to the <laughs> Alexa, stop! I all, Not only did I accidentally trigger my Alexa, <laughs> but I skipped an entire week and jumped to the 30th for no good reason. All right, go ahead and do your plugs. I'll be right back. All right. Um, you can find me mostly covering things over in, in 411mania.com. 411mania.com. I can speak. I cover professional wrestling three days a week. Mondays, AEW's Dark Elevation. Wednesdays, MLW's Fusion Alpha, as long as they continue to air it. And Fridays, WWE SmackDown. So if you're interested in my thoughts over there, please do stop by, say hello. I appreciate it. I cover mixed martial arts on Saturdays mostly. So this Saturday I will be covering UFC on ESPN plus 52. It's not a good card, but please stop. Look, here's all I want from you. If you'll do me this kindness. 
just leave a comment in the if you if you're even remotely interested leave a comment in the live coverage i would really like it if all of you could spell out a recipe for like tomato soup like that that would be nice um i don't think you will but as an just as a as a random ask um some of these some of these cards man they're not great and i occasionally get depressed because it feels like no one cares and sometimes I know that no one cares and that doesn't bother me. Other times I know no one cares and it really crushes my soul just a little bit. So uh, if you're interested, do that. Mark mentioned that he and I did live uh, watch along for Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury 3. That was a good time. That's up in the archives. Please give it a listen. I also host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. This last week was mostly talking about Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury 3 because the UFC event was meh and the upcoming event is meh and Fury Wilder 3 was kind of awesome. So that gets the lion's share of coverage and it's my show. I can do what I want with it. So this upcoming week will be a review of UFC and ESPN plus 53 and a preview of the next event, which is headlined by a legitimate welterweight main, uh, excuse me, middleweight main event between two former title challengers, Paulo Costa and Marvin Vittori. So if you want to hear my full preview of that, this next coming Saturday evening slash Monday morning, that will go live. Mark mentioned our review of Midnight Mass. We had a good time talking about that, about faith, what it means, how we get to it, uh, the nature of life, man's search for meaning, and the inevitable push to avoid death at most possible to most possibilities, although not all. It was a good time, Mark. All right, folks. Uh, you're done. Uh, Halloween, uh, Halloween Kills this next coming week here on Damn You Hollywood. Please come back. It will be a good time. And yeah, if you check us out on the Twitch stream tonight or on Facebook or on Twitter. All right. Uh, we'll, we're, yeah, uh, anytime that we are live on video, we not just for, we're not doing it for the audio only shows, obviously. But anytime that we're video, we'll be up on all the socials. Uh, so you can actually watch us live. Or you can't, or, or hey, here's a thought. You can listen to the podcast. Remember when those were a thing? No. <laughs> and on that note, be well, be safe, and behave.